0: Welcome to Lighting the Pipes, with Bowman and the BFG, a literary exploration of the world of Sherlock Holmes and the works of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Welcome to Lighting the Pipes, episode 19, coming at you live from Kanata, Ontario. Yes, it's Bowman and the BFG back together, in woo! person, in woo! person, after how long has it been? Three and a half years, three I guess. Three and a half years, yeah, yeah since three and you and a half came years. up, yeah. And here we are doing our 19th installment of Lighting the Pipes. Today is going to be a little bit different, though. Uh, Josh, explain how.
1: Well, we are sitting here at the... Um Airbnb house that Scott has rented for his for his family, and uh, I'm just up here for the day. Uh, Going to have a little bit of uh, tournament of risk this evening with some old friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it was a long, it's a tradition that we've long been been doing, um, and yeah, we're just here up by by the pool, uh, kind of like in a tiki bar shaded area. Pretty neat. Got It It is.
0: Yeah. I'm feeling the Jimmy Buffett vibes. Jimmy Buffett vibe. Nice. Mm -hmm. So we're escaping, I guess you could say? I think you could say that, yes. We have a clock uh, just off to the left here with uh, fives all around in the 24 position. And somewhere in the middle with a beer, meaning it's five o'clock somewhere all the time. And he had that sign there too,
1: it's five o'clock somewhere. That's right. This is definitely Jimmy Buffett, Alan Jackson vibes. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I like your tiki, uh, your tiki's My tiki cup? Tiki, your uh-huh. Easter Island, yeah, tiki <laughs> cup, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, it's. I, I think the word would be
0: uh, camp, is that right? Oh, kitsch Kitsch That's the one I was Very for Very kitschy yeah, yeah, not camp Very kitschy mm-hmm.
1: Very It's kitschy. great though, it's good I was supposed to see Elvis show up and start sticking at some point I like a bit of kitsch
0: Yeah um, I do like a bit of kitsch
1: And you're rocking a, a Rattler there?
0: Rocking a Rattler, yeah uh, It's still early morning, so I thought it maybe best to avoid the hard liquor
1: Yeah, although I'm going with a uh, Shock Top, which in here in North America is sort of like um, It's a citrusy white yeah, and
0: I'm having a, a terrible Bud Light rattler. I wouldn't recommend them. Not the but, best of rattlers. No, but they're in the pool fridge and I think it's necessary when in Rome or when in
1: Kanata. To well Dunrobin actually. Dunrobin, which is like a little little suburb. Well, it's a little township outside of Canada. But, yeah, yeah. but it's but it's kinda of casino. It's basically Canada, yeah. It's basically Canada. Yeah, basically. Right. Yeah. So yeah, so we're just here um, out by the pool, shaded and nicely shaded, but you know, sitting together. Mm-hmm. And episode, episode,
0: episode 19 is going to be a little different because we got two stories to go through today. We're going to start the casebook of Sherlock Holmes, which is the last collection of stories that Doyle wrote on the character. We're going to start by looking at the illustrious client and then the blanched soldier. But unlike all of our other episodes, we are recording this together, uh, not a distance by an ocean, and we don't have as many detailed notes as we
1: normally would, and that was quite deliberate, wasn't it? Deliberate and also, um, I would think also just symptomatic of the situation is that not only, I mean, Scott is visiting us for the, the, you know, visiting his family, including myself, you know, for the month and whatnot, um, introducing everyone to his lovely little daughter, Rosanna. But I'm also moving um, to an apartment, uh, to, to a new apartment on the weekend, so uh, I haven't really had a lot of time to be as judicious in my note-taking in this case. Mm-hmm. So I've, my homework is I've read the two stories, and our pipes will be very improv, I think, today. Well, at least on my side. You yeah. got some good notes there. I got You're- some
0: good notes because I managed to read The Illustrious Client and do a proper annotated look at it uh, before I left. But I've only read The Blanche Soldier and done a little bit of work on that. On the plane. I didn't bring my Klinger edition with me because the thing is like, you know, 40 kilograms. Yeah. Uh, and that would have added quite a bit to my, my luggage allowance and yeah, my traveling with a kid and a wife. You know? paid a bit more for that one, that's for a sure. A little bit. So beyond that, uh, we're also going to have a bit of fun, aren't we? Yeah. When we finish talking about the stories, we're going to uh, do something a little bit different, maybe uh, some spin off chats, some fun... Um, what prospective or fantasy Holmes type chat
1: stuff? Yeah, it'll, it'll be very off the cuff. I think would be the best way to describe it. it and I think it's a really it's fitting for I think for the beginning of the case book of Sherlock Holmes because I think here we have the beginning of the most, I guess ironic kind of presentation or no maybe unironic presentation of Sherlock Holmes we've seen so far. We have, we begin with the preface from Sir Arthur Conan Doyle himself, and. It it's very self-deprecating, and at the same time, it has that. Doesn't it have that feel of like James, like William Sh- Shatner tell, telling the fanboys to get a life? Doesn't doesn't does have that kind of air to it?
0: It does. Yeah, it does kind of have that.
1: And then we have the first story is it just, is, is in the standard Sherlock Holmes fair Watson narration telling the story of the investigation. Then the second t- tale, what we'll, we'll get into, actually is narrated by Sherlock Holmes himself mm-hmm. trying to do the formula that Watson um, has been known for, for all these stories that we've done. So I think, it's, I think in fact, this collection is off the cuff. So starting it off the cuff, I think, is, is a good way to begin the beginning of the end, I guess, of our um, Sherlock Holmes analysis.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's been a long trip, man. It's been a long, long trip. We've been doing this since February of 2017. That is intense. As soon as we finished our Bond series, yeah. Well, we're getting to that stage, though, with only a few episodes left, where we're going to start teasing about what we got coming up. And you'll be settled in a new place. I'll be back in Scotland, uh, away at work, and we'll be in a better position, maybe, to share some of that info with our listeners.
1: Yeah, I'll have definitely more opportunity to do podcasts off the cuff, more so, um, due to the fact that I, you know, I'll be, in, I'll have a, my own, I have a lot more privacy to myself, so I'll be able to do these podcasts not at a more convenient times than than than, than normal. Mm. Um, we don't have to always make a schedule for Saturday mornings between the two of us, yeah, or Saturday afternoons in your case. Mm-hmm. But we got a couple of good plans, we got
0: ideas for what series kind of we want, we want to share, we want to do together, we yeah. want to explore into. Uh, you know, of course, this whole thing is about touching on our interests and doing new things and. I think we found a good, good balance here with this Holmes. And I'd just like okay. to reassert something, you know. Before, <clears throat> before we started this, I'd never read a single Sherlock Holmes story. And it was your suggestion during our Fleming retrospective and all of his books that we were to go on and kind of look at a literary ancestor of Holmes. Sorry, a, a bond. A bond, yes. Being Holmes. And also a little bit of my own shame as an English teacher never having read a Holmes story. Uh, I think I'm atoning for that.
1: Yeah, I think you are. And I, he just posted me a couple of weeks ago uh, p- uh, some pictures on uh, Messenger of, for his English classroom in Dumfries. He has He's going to have the kids learn uh, for the curriculum uh, the adventures of Charlotte That's Holmes.
0: right. I've decided to teach the adventures, uh, having gone through it with you. Question. Yeah.
1: Why the adventures? Why not Hound of the Baskervilles? Why not the study in Scarlet? Good point. Um,
0: well, in the Scottish curriculum, Given the level of the class, like they're gonna have to do a Scottish text, right? Yes, that's part of what they have to study, and then there's other texts that teachers can do. So, Arthur so, Conan Doyle feels yeah. that well, no, he doesn't actually because okay. Arthur Conan Doyle is not on the Scottish, he's not on the, the set text list. Like, basically, all teachers have to select from a set of you know, interesting. Here, here's what you have to do Like, here's what we deem appropriate to teach you must teach one of these either one of the selection of plays one of the selection of novels one of the selection of short stories or one of the selection of poetry and I'm sharing the class with uh, another teacher who's deciding to maybe do a novel and so I don't want to step on those toes and I decided to go short stories but I also think I also think that with Baskerville which so far is probably the best thing we've read the best thing that Doyle's done I think that the stories are fun they're compartmental enough that you can get a lot of fun out of them Uh, we you and I have done a shit ton of work at analyzing them so I've got a lot of good resources in that way plus they're digestible enough for today's students that And for today's teacher, that I know, I can get through one in a week if I need to, and then close something and move again to something else. So there's a bit more flexibility in doing the stories I thought than doing the novel unit. And for a first time out to bat, you know, I think there's going to be enough variety in the stories I've selected because I'm only doing eight from the adventures.
1: And so, *Studying Scarlet* is kind of dry in many ways. It is, yeah. And for some kids, I guess it depends on the kids and the diversity of 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 their interests in the classroom. Uh, a of the Baskervilles is like one full novella, like yeah. a, almost a novel. Yeah. And that's like... for. I know as a kid, when I went to high school, if you're told to read a book, you'll hate it automatically. Yeah. Um, and there's some books that I was forced to read in high school that was part of the curriculum I had to read, and I hated it. Yeah. One of those books, actually, was almost, I think all of Dickens, I was forced to read it, and I hated it in high school. And then it wasn't until I did English literature in university that I actually read re-read some of those books, like Great Expectations and Tale of Two Cities. And I've actually... I love Dickens now mm-hmm. so I think that if you're it's like finding music if you're told to if, if like if when you're a teenager and you're growing up you listen to what everybody else listens to even up until you're, you're a teenager like even when you're a tween or whatever you listen to what everyone else listens to it's not until you go away that you, or separate yourself from that world just a little bit where you start finding your own interests mm-hmm. like when I, I listen, when, when I was a kid growing up in Canada, I grew. I listened to like Our Lady Peace and the Tea Party and Moist and Guns and Roses and Nirvana. Not uh,
0: not to date yourself at all. Yeah,
1: not date myself <laughs> at all. So everyone, you know, I, who was around me, they listened to that type of music. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until I was in my twenties where the Rolling Stones, mm-hmm. the Beatles, the Doors, uh, you know, some some stuff I would never really listen to them before. So I mean, I just have a feeling that if you're forced to do something you're not going to enjoy it. But if you find it yourself and discover it, that is what makes things better.
0: Mm, Of course, yeah. And we're talking about discovering things that are very well known. Yes. And if I can somehow give a freshness to the stories, to the kids, the way that I've experienced the freshness coming in late into the canon, then, yeah, I'd like to do that. The other thing, I think, you know, about uh, (coughs) about Baskerville is that as an introduction to the Holmes character... I don't think it works as well as some of the short stories where he's still grafting to find the identity yeah. he's still working to kind of t- to give uh, to give a little bit more of, of who Holmes is I think Baskerville because the first section of it is so absent of Holmes Holmes doesn't show up until you know well he, he's there at the beginning but then he disappears what is and he comes
1: back on on, on the moor. that's right? true it's very much of a Watson story and with the short stories you get a nice little vignette for the ki- for the kids to digest very quickly yeah and they can dissect it in, a, in a, and talk about it individually. They don't have to read, so they're not pressured to read all of it. Mm-hmm. They're pressured only to read a bit of it. Yeah. And what they get of it, they might actually enjoy it. And there's a formula that they get in the short stories. Yes, and you can teach them out. Yeah, exactly. How one of the things you could talk to talk about yeah. is the structure and the, and the formula that Arthur Conan Doyle puts out. Mm-hmm. And you can even say like this is the same kind of structure as say like a modern comic book story or even yeah. a, even like a modern television episode. Totally. You know what I mean? You, you, you can discuss those things. One hundred. There's like a
0: cold open. Exactly. Isn't there There's to cold these open. stories like where they're talking together and and sometimes you, you know they're well not a cold open in the sense that you see the crime before you see the protagonists but a cold open in the sense that you know you know what you're going to get structurally
1: and the kids got a good a good a good entry story to get into Sherlock Holmes too they got the Silver Blaze if I'm not mistaken no
0: that's memoirs
1: oh what's the first story of the of Sherlock Holmes then it's scandal oh, and Bohemia scandal and Bohemia that's but I'm, right I'm
0: actually thinking of skipping that classic. I'm actually thinking of not teaching the Irene Adler
1: story, and it's, I don't know. It's kind of, um, I think personally, I mean, pop culture makes us think of Irene Radler as this great femme Irene Adler is. <laughs> Radler. <laughs> Gee, what's on my mind? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll call her Irene Radler from now on. We will. Uh, about Irene Adler, is it that, okay, so they might have seen, like, you know, the Sherlock show, or they might have seen Rachel McAdams' portrayal of the film as a femme fatale kind of thing, but really in the terms of the novels she's not much of a character at all no she isn't she in gets reactions no. maybe once or twice in the others tales but that's really about it
0: yeah there are more <laughs> impressive females but we'll talk about that when we get to the end of our so, series so
1: what follows so then what story what, what's the story that comes after The, the Red Headed League That's a good one to start with.
0: That's the one I'm starting with. And then there's a case of identity Uh. with uh, Hosmer Angel. (laughs) Hosmer Angel, yeah. (laughs) I love that one. Anyway, we'll we'll maybe get there I think the kids will
1: find that kind of hokey. I I mean, I'm
0: curious to to hear their, their experiences. You know, a lot of delivering stuff to kids is exactly that. How do you deliver it? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. are you going to build it up so that there's slideshows and presentations and pictures and context of Victorian London <laughs> and how these guys, these criminals, are very Dickensian in their way, or are you just going to say, "Here, read the story," right? Yeah, They're exactly. Not, I'm not going to do that because I want to share with them the enthusiasm that I've met in doing this myself. Yeah, and you know, the redheaded league—it's—it's it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer for you know what I'm sure. Saying? Yeah, I'm a red-headed It t-shirt.
1: has a whole sequence too, like near the end where. Um, there, like Sherlock Holmes, is walking around and he's tapping on the pavement with his stone and testing yeah, the hollowness of the cool. ground. And then you have like the whole bank robber, the whole rob thing at the end. I think it's, I think it's just a really good. Is that's a good introduction? Yeah, we'll go yeah. with that one. Although, anyway, although. Before we continue, right, I do right. think Watson throwing a cherry bomb or smoke know, bomb awesome. or whatever it's into a, the window—it's a, it's, it's, it's a good move. But I think this story might be too complex. What you could do is maybe go back to, to tell the kids that they want for extra credit or something.
2: Yeah, they yeah. could read that yeah. story. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah, of course. And yeah. I will explain to them. You know, okay. I'm, I'm picking what I think will be
1: interesting <laughs> for them as beginners. But what you could do too is have an extra assignment. It's like watch uh, the Robert the the, um, the 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 guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes, which, which is about Irene Adler, and. Can, can, and then have do a, do, do a adaptation comparison or something for, yeah, uh, that. for that, too. Or, yeah. yeah, I could. Um, or or a, not, actually, it would probably just be better with Scandal in Bulgravia, the the BBC the, the one. The Sherlock one.
0: Yeah. There will be a lot of Sherlockians, I'm sure, yeah. who are disagreeing with my decision not to teach the first story from <laughs> the first collection. But, you know, they don't teach the kids that I teach, and they don't have to get them... You know, they don't have to understand the challenges yeah. of working with teens, and I don't
1: think there's enough excitement... Yeah. Well, to quote censored CeeLo Green on the radio, they can go forget themselves. (laughs) That's
0: right. Yeah, Forget you. Okay, here we are, The Adventure of the Illustrious Client. Let's crack open the casebook here. This story was published in two parts in the Strand, February and March of 1925, but it debuted in America first at uh, the 8th of November my notes tell me here 1924 so a couple of months before in Collier's weekly magazine okay and it offers a few highlights canonically speaking but we
1: will we'll get there Hmm. can you guess what those highlights are for, for the folks playing the home game we'll give you a second
0: Is that enough time? Okay. Write them down. We'll see if you link up with us.
1: Good whistling, by the way. Thank you very much. Alex Trebek would be proud. Uh, He's Canadian, too? He is. It's it's a Canadian episode today. It is a Canadian episode today. Mm -hmm. Yes, bye.
0: So far in the canon, the only reference to Canada that I recall is in How the, the... Baskervilles.
1: Was there one there? Well, Sir Henry Baskerville. Mm-hmm. Or Sir oh, of
0: course, yes. He, he was in Canada. He was in Canada making his fortune. That's good shout That's a, actually a much more obvious one than the one I was remembering for some reason. I remember that's the one, Black Peter.
1: Black Peter, where yeah. Where the
0: uh, the initials on the ledger, in or on the diary, were confused with the... CPR. CPR, CPR that's Navy right. Pacific
1: Railway. That's right, Canadian Pacific Railway. That's right. Uh-huh. Canada, shout-out. Canada, shout-out.
0: Uh, okay, so... Where do you want to start? The Adventure of the Illustrious
1: Client. Well, first of all, let's talk about that preface. Oh, sorry, you you wanted to do the preface. Just before, yeah. What did you think of that? What did I think of it?
0: Uh, I thought, as you said a few moments ago, before we rambled on, that it was like a disclaimer. And we've seen these disclaimers before, where Holmes has, not Holmes, sorry, um, Doyle has been kind of forced to bring his character back because of public interest. Yeah. I can really get the feeling of, like, a tired... um, Well, hopefully these stories will be all right. You know, I know that I'm getting tired on them and it's difficult to you know,
1: keep keep a good thing going. But here we are again. Like, it all feels a bit prefaced to me. This is the best defense ever for, like, not wanting to to, to write. And maybe, I don't know, George R. Martin can we just make this excuse then. <laughs> uh, I would be, I have never regretted it, for I have not in actual practice found that these lighter sketches have prevented me from exploring and finding my limitations in such varied branches of literature as history, poetry, historical novels, psychic research, and the drama. So... What is the drama? Like, is, is, he's like, is he, like, is he, like, watching, like, Empire or something? Or huh. one of those, like, uh, I'm not trying to sound racist or anything like that. That's not my goal at all. But when people say, like, she's got some drama. Yeah. Like, is, is that what you're referring to? Like, just drama in his life? Like, what exactly? I think he's
0: talking about drama as a form for stage. Okay. Like, okay. written drama.
1: Cause so, writing produces. plays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I think that's what he's talking about. Okay. Okay, cool. I recovered myself there. That's good. That's good. Ooh, yes. Uh,
0: So the preface just Mm -hmm. is kind of his way to say, here's a few more, thank you for, here's a few more stories, thanks for sticking with me. Um, They haven't all been great, I can't promise these will be either. Uh, It's only a fleeting thing, these home stories... But he, he's quite false modest, you know? He is. There's a false. lot of false modesty here, which is like, so I don't pretend pa- that Holmes will be will survive in the pantheon of great characters, <laughs> but he definitely fucking will.
1: Who uses the word pantheon in great characters and, and, and not being false modest? You know what I mean? Well, I, does he say that? Does he actually say pantheon of false... Char- oh. He says talks about the heaven of characters, doesn't he? The heaven of characters, yeah. Like Valhalla, th- I mean. Valhalla, oh. yeah. Okay, so he's using like old uh, Norse terms instead of Greek mythology. Big yeah. deal. Perhaps in
0: some <laughs> humble corner of such a Valhalla, Sherlock and his Watson may, for a time, find a place, while some more astute sleuth with some even less astute comrade may fi- may fill the stage which they have vacated. I think a
1: psychic research pan- would panned out for him. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe he saw the whole thing. Yeah, well, it's an interesting. Um, Maybe he's seen everything from the beginning of time and he's That's actually some preface. secret and maybe he's seen everything from the beginning of time and he's actually still time traveling through the cosmos trying to figure out how to solve the problem that is humanity mm. and how to bring it to a utopia. Maybe not. If you see he's out there somewhere, Arthur Conan Doyle, I guarantee it. Yeah, maybe. He's the he's the existential cosmic detective. Existential. And of course he'd be a Scotsman, right? Oh he would. Super be. serious and frank to the bone. <laughs> Right. Uh, this is a notable
0: story in its beginning because, it like uh, the disappearance of Lady Carfax, Lady Frances Carfax. I apologize. Um, it mentions and details a bit on the Turkish bath. Yeah. The story starts in the Turkish bath.
2: Yeah.
1: They're kind of they kind of just kind of like chilling or, not well, chilling wouldn't be the right word for it. Chilling. Well, the old uh, there were chilling features to the to the Turkish bath. Yeah. And let me tell you,
0: Josh, I'm here today to help you and all our listeners understand what a Victorian could expect from a Turkish bath experience. Do you want to know?
1: If if it's anything like that hot tub (laughs) greenhouse that we have going over there? It ain't,
0: man. It ain't. (laughs) It's not. not.
1: Let me explain. Turkish bath.
0: Here's what you could expect from a Victorian Turkish bath, which of course is the setting feature to the beginning of this story. Um, A bather would, first, visit a series of rooms that were hot and dry where the temperature increased. Secondly... There would be an occasional cool shower or a bath. Thirdly, a washing down. Fourth, a massage. And finally, a period of lengthy relaxation in a room outfitted with couches. Turkish baths were introduced to Victorian society by David Urquhart, a diplomat who served in the British Embassy in Turkey from 1831 to 1837 and who returned home, became an MP, and advocated strongly for all things Turkish. My question after reading this is, did he also care about Turkish delight? What do you think? Turkish Delight? Did he offer his MP friends and oh, the other yeah. side of the floor boxes of Turkish Delight in an effort to seduce or influence them towards Turkish matters?
1: Yeah, wasn't Turkish Delight like a you said like a snuff or something? Turkish Delight or was not it, a snuff. It's no.
0: Like, it's like a t- tobacco? No, Turkish Delight, man. It's that jelly, kind of uh, powdered sugar-covered jelly yeah. that's like a it's like a soft gelatin juju type thing.
1: Okay. You've never had Turkish Delight? I... I some places covered with chocolate, it?
0: but the traditional Turkish delight is like lemon or rose or strawberry flavor. I don't know about strawberries; probably not traditional. Pistachio or something. It's like a jelly gum sweet that is powdered sugar over it. It's, it's like in cubes. Okay. I'm going to have to get you some, dude. Yeah, I'm
1: going to have to try that. Two things. Turkish yeah. baths we're learning about here and Turkish delights. That's right.
0: One of them, important to the story, kind of. The other one, not so much. Kind but kind yeah. Of angel. Uh, so I thank uh, Les Klinger for those annotations. I learned a, a little bit about... Thank uh, you, Learned a little bit about Turkish baths Shout that. out to you, Les. Mm-hmm. But yeah, basically this guy, David Urquhart, uh, quite interesting figure, actually. I was looking a little bit more into him. But he in his time in Turkey, he basically fell in love with the whole society and wanted to bring some of it back. And you get that whole, that Victorian sort of uh, melting pot thing, you know? We're like, yeah, bring it on in, you know, bring yeah. it on in and become part of this. And he managed through parliament and through, I guess, just being quite a, uh, an influential social figure to make Turkish baths, to help make them part of a, a known uh, relaxation, entertainment type thing in, in society
1: these type of things I think would, would go towards London becoming a much more, as you mentioned, melting pot but yeah. a much more cosmopolitan kind of city that was near the end of the 19th century mm-hmm. yeah, as opposed sure. to like the more regimented Dickensian nightmare that it was during the Industrial Revolution yeah. we're kind of moving from that phase right?
0: totally. so why don't you tell the folks, Josh while I get us a couple more beers why don't you tell the folks what goes on in the Turkish bath
1: at the beginning of the story well, we got Watson and uh, Sherlock uh, chilling, I guess would be the, I don't know, not the right expression, um, in the Turkish bath. Yes,
0: they could be in a cool
1: pool. They could be in a cool pool, yeah. So I guess the Turkish bath would be very similar to like a Roman kind of bath almost, uh-huh. right? And that's where Holmes gets in the case the info. That's right, exactly. So, Holmes presents the story of um, of, the, of the proxy of some illustrious client whose name I'm just catching up. Oh yeah, Sir James Damery. And who this illustrious client is, there is many speculation as, as to who that person might be. But regardless, his proxy, Sir Colonel James Damery, uh, comes to, uh, went to Holmes... Um, w- with the case. Uh, we have another Violet, this time Violet de Merville.
0: The fourth and final Violet in the canon!
1: She's no shrinking Violet. She's
0: Well...
1: Well, in this case, I think she is, actually. Yeah, she's... She's no, she's no Violet Hunter.
0: She's no Violet Hunter, but Violet Hunter is one of those great female figures, and there ain't a lot of them in these stories. Well, this There's
1: story... This, ones, this, this, well, this story has a pretty cool figure in, uh... Does. In Kitty Winter. It does, yeah. Well, but we'll get to her.
0: We'll
1: get to her right. Sorry, keep going. So it turns out that um, the case that yeah, sorry, the case that uh, James Damery brings to Holmes is that Violet de Merville, the daughter of Colonel de Merville, um, is besotted with one Austrian Baron named El- Elberhard Gruner. Is that how you pronounce his first name, Elberhart? I think so.
0: Elberhart,
1: yeah. Now, the thing is, is that both Holmes and um, Damery know that this Gruner is responsible for the murder of his his Mm ex-wife, or or of his previous wife, of his late wife, I guess you could say in this case here. Um, But he's one of those people who seems to get away with the crime, and... He basically is one of those guys that just says people are, are persecuting me and they think I killed my wife when I really didn't. And he has enough influence and muscle to, in, to make people, well, the, the, I guess the people who are easy to be uh, manipulated, that this is the case. But Holmes and um, Damery are well aware, and I guess he's a luxury client, that this guy, Gruner, is quite a piece of work. And now he has his sets on. Now he has his sight set on this Violet uh, de Merville, as um, a very strong, willful woman, uh, is unable to uh, see, I guess, for her own pride, that this might be a, not a great guy, and she cho- and she chooses to, I guess, believe in her own self and see that this man is a good man. There yeah, are hints- she
0: does She says, doesn't she, at one point in the story that. Like that classic, I've got it written down here too. Like that, that sort of classic stereotype of uh, what you get with like women who like the bad boys, right? Like, oh, yes. I can fix him. I can fix I can him. Fix yeah, him. that's right. That really in her interview with Holmes, she says something really naff like that, uh, and I did make a note of it. Um, and Holmes isn't particularly nice about women in this story either. We've se- we've seen
1: this before, haven't we? I think many ways. This this is my interpretation of Holmes, and I think this goes into you know if and if we're to like metaphorically light our pipes here. I would say in the term in the, in the interpretation of the principles part of our pipes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pipes, of course, is our acronym for those who uh, are just t- tuning in now. I feel sorry for you if you're just tuning in now. Yes, much, very much. So. You must be very, very confused. <laughs> very disappointed yes. thus far. Pipes? What are they talking about? Yeah. The plumbing or something? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so as you know, Sherlock Holmes smokes a pipe. Mm-hmm. Watson sometimes too. That was a thing Englishmen did. Hobbits do it. You know they do. They, they, they did. They do. So we just use that as an acronym, and PIPES stands for P, Principles, I, Investigation, P again for Perpetrators, E for Environs or Environment, I guess, pick or choose. And then S for supporting cast, the dramatist personae, as, as you would say. Mm-hmm. So we basically evaluate that out of five for each of these categories, and that gives us a ranking, total ranking, I guess, of, of each of the Sherlock Holmes adventures. Yes. And, and the novels included.
0: And in most other episodes, well, in all other episodes, there'll be detailed plot summaries. We've decided to forego those today, so we'll probably just move through the story, talk about our pipes as we go, won't we?
1: Yeah, ab- absolutely.
0: Yeah. yeah, so anyway, this, this guy, this client, is Josh Hussain, is is uh, this guy James Damery, or Damery. Yeah, the He's, proxy for
1: whomever he might right. be, who might possibly be Edward the Sixth. Uh huh.
0: And might possibly means almost definitely. Yeah. As we discover at the end.
1: Now was he a king then, or was he a crown prince? I think he was a king then. Okay, because it must have been after Victoria died, right? That's at right. That time, yeah. 1902. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, yeah, that's right. 1902 in the story. This is a 1902 story, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is a very dapper, very impressive guy. He generates when he walks into the room like we've seen in other
1: clients of Holmes
0: he does generate a certain ambiance a certain you know
1: regale yes if that's the right word yes a very atmosphere. a very kind of uh, hoity toity but not but dignified but dignified
0: yes he's dignified and you know he doesn't come across as like an asshole does he at the beginning and, and he's
1: very discreet i really liked his reaction to when Holmes when he refused to give the name of his client and Holmes does his usual oh you're not giving me everything tell me all the details Fuck this! I'm I'm out of here. That's Holmes' usual reaction, right? It is. And the way that he responds, I think, impresses Holmes because, well, I under you know, like, well, that's unfortunate. You know what I mean? And this is not, but I have I I made a promise, Mm -hmm. and I I think automatically by doing that, like, I made a promise. He didn't make it about annoying politics that gets in the way. Mm -hmm. I think he personalized it, and he made a promise that he would not reveal that name. And I think that kind of, I, I think, not impressed Holmes, but I think it. Hey, impre- I think, impre- I think, yeah, have I think impressed it impressed Holmes
0: he, it kind of maybe put him off his guard a bit like Holmes says uh, I'm sorry I'm accustomed to have mystery at one end of my cases but to have it at both ends is too confusing I fear St. Sir James that I must decline to act our visitor was greatly disturbed his large sensitive face darkened with emotion and disappointment <laughs> you hardly realize the effect of your own action Mr. Holmes you place me in a most serious dilemma for I'm perfectly certain that you would be proud to take over the case if I could give you the facts and yet a promise
1: forbids me from revealing them all okay. he appealed to his vanity too you'd be proud to take over this case. Yes. Case. you want this case this will be good for you I know that you would like this
0: but then he does something else which is quite clever he says may I at least lay all that I can before you so he, he hopes then that
1: by he, challenge, him, he challenges him yeah. he taunts him he'll get and then Holmes yeah. takes the bait because you know why not <laughs> mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. well anyway uh, he says uh, I apologize if you've already stepped on this step that's okay I was over there steps will be, be stepped on F- yeah. sorry feet will be stepped on feet will be stepped on But he he did, um, he explains that he's acting on the behalf of, as you said, an illustrious client Mm -hmm. who wants to intercede in a marriage of Violet de Merrillville with this Baron Gruner, Gruner, because the illustrious client is good friends with General de Merrillville, who is, you know, an also notable reputable figure yes who would kind of like to stay out of it and so it, it's it's quite complex to merville of the Khyber fame
1: the Kyber so fame, that automatically yeah. connects him to afghanistan that's right so that, that also brings a watson connection in there too and watson to go to the to my rather i think i gave this i think i feel that the principles in this story is probably the strong, one of the strongest parts of it uh-huh. i think watson gets a good he gets he gets a good bit in here too he does he does get and a good And i think that's a good introduction here. to to watson in the story is that this guy Mare de Merville is from the same probably the same could be the same unit or same company as Watson was part of
2: yeah yeah sure. Khyber pass right mmm
1: mm-hmm. um, pass interestingly enough just to is one of those places like Afghanistan is the farthest that most uh, imperialist armies have ever reached Alexander the Great uh, would not go through the Khyber pass is that right yeah he he basically went south he went uh, south and try to cross the Indus instead as for, his, for his reach of his uh, expansion. And of course he was at the Indus where his armies were d- defeated and then he had to... Then he did that long march back to Babylon Interesting. where he died. I didn't know that. Yeah. But you know what? I... Oliver Stone's Alexander, it's all there.
0: I did watch that, and there's a whole bunch of other shit in there, too. There is a whole bunch of shit in that movie. I'll tell you A lot of shit in that movie. Val Kilmer. Great
1: great score, though. Great score. Yeah, great score
0: score by Vangelis. Much better than Blade Runner. But we won't go back into that. (laughs) Um, You can check out our Worries episode if you want that.
1: Our series. I have no historical issues with Alexander whatsoever, the movie. I just think that when you make an historical film, you also got to make it feel like a fucking movie, too. But we won't go into that at all. Mm -hmm.
0: I was just going to say, though, that... Like Napoleon, Alexander is one of these figures who I feel like I should know more about. Do you know what I mean?
1: He's an interesting figure. Um, a lot of the... Because uh, it this guy. He was like 33 years old and by, by, when, he, when he died and he had conquered half the known world. And all because his father was assassinated and he basically had to bring Greece under heel, and then he had to deal with revenging his father, for the and then going against the Persian Empire, mm. defeating the Persian Empire, what the F do we do with the Persian Empire now yeah, that we defeated yeah. it? We'll just expand. And of course, that wouldn't piss off his more nationalist generals who were with him, and it was amazing though, that even Alexander died. Um, all the generals, Ptolemy, uh, Seleucus, uh, Cassander, these are the guys that pretty much set up the the future Roman world as well, right? Like, The the ones that set the politics that would lead to all of these things like uh, Judaism occurring uh, not Judaism sorry that 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 already existed but even like leading up to the birth of Christianity because of how these kingdoms that were created after Alexander died this led to like uh, how Europe and Asia would would act for up until this day Hmm. anyway that was that was a tangent (laughs) that's a tangent but it's good Um, yeah talking about Kyber yeah Kyber Pass just before we move off
0: uh, Demery here. I made a note of his import, and I thought it was interesting. Um, Holmes says to Watson, um, uh, he has a reputation for arranging delicate matters, which are to be kept out of the papers. You may remember his negotiations with Sir George Lewis over the Hammerford Will case. He's a man of the world with a natural turn for diplomacy. I looked up who George Lewis was, because I thought that's... A rather deliberate drop in Connection, there. Connection, yeah. Connection, yeah. So, George Lewis, his dates are 1833 to 1911, was one of the firm, Lewis and Lewis, the most famous solicitor in England among them, Interesting. Confident, or confident of the Prince of Wales as well as many others. Hmm. So, when De Marie is introduced as being, you know, a negotiator with this guy, one of England's top solicitors, then we're told... Or we're not told at that time. The yeah, person yeah, they
1: work with yeah. was the crown prince, who is now king of England. Correct. So he's a very important representative.
0: Name dropping to build a bit of significance, you know. Would he
1: be the son of? I guess because I, I think she was only married once, Victoria, right? That, so, she, so he would be the son of the king of England at this time. He would be the son of of, of Victoria and Albert, right? I wonder if they make any reference. If, if anyone knows, there there was a. Um, Canadian-American production made in the late '70s. Called, uh, it was called "Murder by Decree," and it stars Christopher Plummer as Sherlock Holmes and James Mason as Watson. And it deals with the, the Sherlock Holmes investigating the Jack the Ripper case. Uh, Jack the Ripper, and of course, Jack
0: has ripped again.
1: He has ripped again.
0: Yes, Sherlock, let's get out and investigate the case.
1: The movie uh, suggests that Jack the Ripper was like some sort of Freemason slash member of the British intelligence service, uh. covering up. The sexual, I guess, um, exploits of the crown prince of England.
0: That's very interesting. Yeah. Do you like my James Mason impersonation? I'm. It's I'm a, trying. I'm trying very hard. It's not
1: bad. It's not bad.
0: Yeah. Good, you got uh-huh. to
1: give a line. You got to get like a Van Damme line from like North by Northwest or something <laughs> I like that too. Mr. I don't Kaplan, remember. Mr. Caplin. Mr. Capelin. <laughs> Mr. Capelin. Ti- Mr. Caplin. really, this is very tiresome by this, this point. This is very now. tiresome by
0: this point, Mr. Capelin. Leonard, go...
1: Uh... <laughs>
0: <laughs> Put the girl on the plane. Put the girl on the plane, yeah. And let's be away. Uh, I was... have entertained you enough, Mr. Capelin, and now do... it's time that you die. Or you got to do his Brutus, too. I come not to bury Caesar. Oh, wait a moment, that's Antony's line. <laughs> Friends... Ro- no. What does he say? What does Brutus say? You know what? I can't think oh, of a holy li-
1: shit. I can't think of a line from Brutus this from that play. This is
0: embarrassing. Yeah. Um. How about this one? Friends, Romans. How about I do Antony's speech
1: as James Mason's Brutus? I I think the ghost of Marlon Brando would highly <laughs> not approve of that, but whatever. Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend
0: me your ears. I, com- he is. I but- come not to bury Caesar Oh, sorry To praise Caesar But to bury him
1: I come not to bury Caesar I come not to praise But, but, but to bury him Yeah, that's right The deeds that men do Often interred with their often bones Often interred with their bones Yeah uh, I forget them Yeah Good James Mason impression though. Thanks, I, man. I, I like
0: it. I like I, it. I'm, well, it's not good, but I'm having fun with it. It's fun for sure. Right. Uh, I feel as though we're yes! so. Off. I feel as though we're. That, so that so was off. my.
1: That was my Vincent Price. Yes. <laughs> good old Professor Radigan. Sherlock Holmes connection.
0: That's good. Let's let's
1: use that to bring us back here. <laughs> oh, okay. Holy shit. Back to. Let's ca-
0: get on with back, to the Khyber back
1: to the Kyber Pass. Back to no fuck
0: the Kyber <laughs> Pass. Uh, Watson tells us at the start of the story that he's living on Queen Anne Street. That was. An interesting reference, and I, again, got some fruit to bear. Queen Anne, nice. Watson's location here indicates a step up from his days of living or practicing at Paddington, where most of his clients would be drawn from the working class. Paddington Bear? Uh, He may have been one of his clients, yes. (laughs) Paddington, work your way to Dr. Watson. Get that stuffing back in your belly, Bear. James Basin is now Sherlock Holmes, just 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 let you know. Um... Yeah, Queen Anne Street was located in the Cavendish Square neighborhood of of medical establishments. So you think about the resident patient, the Devil's Foot, that was just a short walk from Baker Street. So for Queen Anne Street to be mentioned here just means that Watson at this point in his career as a physician is in a more
1: what, ritzy place, a more whatever. Yeah, exactly. This is, I think, 1902, so he, I think he's, I, th- I think Miss uh, Watson is, or, or, or Miss what was her last name again? DeMerville. No, Watson's dead wife. What's, what what was her name Mary again? Mary Morstan. Morstan, yeah, Mary Morston. I guess she's dead by this point. <laughs> we don't know. She doesn't matter. Unlike the last story unlike, unlike the next story, which is when when Watson abandoned me <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that was class. Uh, the biggest
0: the biggest shout out that Mary Morstan gets is when, like, after their marriage, is when well, there's two. There's ones where Holmes, I don't remember the story, but Holmes rocks up to Watson's house, and basically, with his wife asleep up in bed, he just takes Watson away. Yeah. The other one is where, in it's in uh, The Crooked Man, where he tells Watson, oh, I know you're here to do something for one of your wife's friends, but just send her a telegram and tell her you're away with me, <laughs> and you won't be returning, and so he does. Yeah. He's such a ponce. Right, anyway, um so let's just finish a, a quick plot summary a
1: quick plot summary so what happens then is that um, so yeah we know that this Baron Gruner this uh, guy is going after Violet de Merivale he wants her fortune we know that he killed his ex-wife or Holmes and uh, Damery know that he did anyways yep. um, so they're trying so basically we know that this willful woman is is she hypnotized? Is she just besotted? Is she just is she trying to fix one of the bad boys? Is she just stubborn that way? Which you got to kind of like I guess appreciate her loyalty in that kind of fashion. Sure, yeah. But regardless, this she's with the bad. She's with this bad bad dude, mm-hmm. and the whole point is for the case is for Sherlock Holmes to get her from this man's clutches, and uh, possibly lead up to the prosecution of the said
0: villain. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, the process, uh, and, and trapping the villain is really clever in this story
1: very good, yeah uh,
0: we, we actually have Watson's literal agency. vitriol being used That's right. in, this, yep. in this story <laughs> literal vitriol <laughs> Yeah. and we see Watson very involved which is great because we've, we've been kind of harping yeah. for a few books maybe now a few books even yeah. that Watson's role is so on and off again hmm. it, there's just no consistency in how Doyle's using
1: him beyond the narration feature yeah I do like. I want to point out. I think for the this goes towards the pipes for the principles here. Yep. For the Sherlock Holmes part of the principles, I really feel that we're talking about Sherlock Holmes not liking women. I think he knows this about him, about himself, and I think he's ashamed of that in his own kind of way. Yeah. Um. And, and I think because he's a good, in deep down, he's a good, he's a good man and whatnot. He feel probably feels that way. So I feel like him taking such, um, passion to bring down like a misogynist piece of shit like. Uh, Gruner. and he really is Gruner oh man he's one a, of the best of I, I yeah definitely um, it, it's it, I think he's basically the perfection of the kind of character that Sherlock that Arthur Conan Doyle has been trying to try, uh, trying to try, trying to to show us because there's a lot of affectations that Gruner is given in this storyline that make him much more human I hate to use that word I understand but yeah. Believable as a, as a, as a, as a fallible, character, yeah. as a character in this story, which works mm-hmm. so well, yeah. which is why the solution to his, um, uh, I guess his, getting his just desserts, so to speak, is quite innovative uh, compared to the previous stories that we dealt with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very human. Um, yes, back in the book, pretty. I, I am, too. yeah, I am. Let yeah. me a, get your cushion here. You can. I, I, I'm like freaking. Uh, I don't know. Like like. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm like a freaking. Uh, you're like a toy. You're like a wig. In parliament. Uh, like a wig, yeah, or I'm, I'm like John Knox, you know, like telling Mary Queen of Scots <laughs> that she's no good, she's a woman and all this kind of stuff. I am t- I guess the, the ghost of Br- Gruner is like inhabiting me or something like that, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I'm just really intense on my pulpit right now.
0: But your point is a good one. It, it is. is. And I think we have to pick up on that a little bit later. But because the spell that this guy has, is, this, this Gruner, man, he's it's almost described as hypnotism isn't it it is because he does have a background in hypnosis but he says it's his charm yeah he says it's his charm yeah but when Violet is described to us during the interview with Holmes she is like many
1: of the characters uh described does Watson notice her oh he 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 does. does yeah of course he does um I think Watson would be blown away by, like, one of the lad mags you guys have in the UK or the ones we have in the USA. He would just be totally, like, <laughs> blown away. What would he do with a lad's mag? What would he do with, like, Maxim or I'll something? be in the water closet, Sherlock.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, right, so Holmes goes and he marries, uh, He sorry. He interviews the Baron first, where he basically gets the a lot of passive-aggressive threats and stuff like that. And, you know... Um, and the Baron admits, though, to hypnosis as being an influence. You've heard of the post-hypnotic suggestion, Mr. Holmes? Well, you will see how it works, for a man of personality can use hypnotism without any vulgar passes or tomfoolery. So she is ready for you, and I have no doubt would give you an appointment, for she's quite amenable to her father's will, save only in the one little matter, that being of marriage. So it's almost like... Confidence bastard, co- isn't yeah, it? Yeah, like he prepared her for you know, not being bothered by any sort of interview.
1: And this is what I think really makes this villain stand out, I think, is because this is a very realistic type of individual. Modern. Like, like I have, like, I have family, I have a family member right now who is, like, under the unfortunate thrall of a boyfriend, and of a boyfriend, like in this kind of not this particular type of manner, but in this type of, but very similar, I guess, in circumstances, a manipulative feature. Manipulative feature, and he's making her believe everything against her own family and, and, and whatnot. And it's a really kind of frustrating scenario. But these people do exist, and I think this is why Gruner to me stands out as one of the best villains. Is I'm like, yeah, there's dastardly shit going on with the other villains and they're over-the-top misogynists and or they're just really creepy individuals who don't give a crap, who shock us by how they treat their children yeah. and lock them up in rooms and stuff yeah. like that or want to steal their fortunes or kill their nieces for their money. There's pieces of crap like that in these stories, but this guy, though, this guy is just... Uh, this guy's just there's just some such a modern context to this guy it's almost like uh, Arthur Conan Doyle was also investigating I think the criminal mind and probably even early types of profiling now I'm not talking about like yeah. the FBI profiling we get like in, in the way way future you know but I'm, I'm more referring to just in terms of how individuals act it seems like he's speaking from experience um, Arthur Conan Doyle when, he, when he's creating this character that he's seen people like this take advantage of, of, of women
0: yeah that's a good point and I, I think you're right and plus the fact that he also murdered his previous wife. That's what gives Holmes the—I don't know if this is a moral high ground. I mean, of course, it's a moral high ground. But see, Watson does ask a reasonable question. He's like, "Well, so what? Doesn't like must you interfere? Does it really matter if he marries this girl?" So the guy's a creep. Like you're saying, there's
1: millions of creeps yeah, out Watson there. Yeah, Watson. What's me that, the big that's deal? That's very right? of Watson. It
0: is, but at the same time, like it's also very Holmes time. reminds him. Well, considering that he undoubtedly murdered his last wife, I should say it mattered very
1: much. Yes. Besides the client, you know, I mean, like. Besides the client, yeah. Holmes had to bring it down to, yeah, something pra- that, to pragmatic, to pragmatic, yeah. to pragmatic sense. But there
0: so. is that moral compass in his character in yeah. this story that we've seen before. Like you were you were touching on earlier in your chat, like he is rotten enough for this to be deserving. Let's just wrap this guy up. Yeah. Plus, he likes a good challenge.
1: He has a good challenge, and he's smug as hell with Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. Well, he never he never saw Kitty Winter coming. That's all I have to say. No. So no, so moving no. forward, in order to get. The dirt on this on this guy, um, uh, Gruner, Holmes gets goes to an old underworld liaison, Shinwell Johnson. Is it Shinwell Johnson? Uh, what have I got here? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. So basically, this guy Sherlock Holmes busted this guy for some. I don't think it was. I don't think it was like a capital crime, but it was just some kind of mis- It was kind of. It was like shady shit, regardless. And, yeah, and Watson
0: says that I've not had on occasion to. Men- I've not had occasion to mention. Shinwell Johnson in these memoirs because I've seldom drawn my cases from the latter phases of my friend's career.
1: Or, he was just created for this story. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> but that's fine. Yeah. You know, I don't mind that.
0: I don't mind. That's a, a disclaimer. D- it's, it's a
1: believable retro con. Yeah. Re- yes. Retcon, because... Yeah, retcon. Yeah. Yes.
0: During the first years of the century, he became a valuable assistant. Johnson, I grieve to say, made his name first as a very dangerous villain and served two terms at Parkhurst. Finally, he repented and allied himself to Holmes, acting as his agent in the huge criminal underworld of London and obtaining information which often proved to be of vital importance i'm delighted that he's in the story i'm saddened that he wasn't created sooner because he beats the shit in my opinion he beats the pulp out of any of the the little ratty boys that are running around. supposedly to doing to work. Yeah, but well, they were in. Like, it's like I write Nadler, right? Like yeah. the legend lives on, but they're yeah. only in two stories. Yeah. Who cares? You know, Billy the House Guy is in more stories than the Baker Street un- Irregulars. This guy Shinwell Johnson is 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 legitimately cool. He's got legitimate stage time. Yeah. We see him or screen time, sorry, page time. Page time. He's there. His personality comes through a bit. Like he's not just like he's he's a cool character. And of course, I'm sad that. He wasn't in earlier stories because he could have been a really cool creating care, a recurring guy like X or something, you know, in the yeah, X Files yeah, or something. Yeah, exactly. But he is Marita here, Cora-Vibius. and I think we got to be happy for that because yeah, he's sure. good. But anyway, yeah. So, so he rocks up as you're saying to dig up the dirt, and he
1: uses a girl by the name of Kitty to help him. Kitty John, Kitty Winter, sorry, Kitty Winter. So lady, so lady, so uh, Miss Ki- Kitty Winter was a previous uh, conquest of Gruner. And we learn that he has many conquests, and he actually, in perfect modern serial killer fashion, he has a diary of yeah, all of his conquests. There's definitely pathology about him. Oh, for sure. And so, and there's his diary, and so she tells Holmes, "If you can get this diary, if you can get this
2: yeah.
1: evidence, that might be
0: the thing that to convince might be the Violet thing that convinces Violet trouble.
1: that she is with the yeah. bat, literally with the bad boy. One that you cannot fix. Mm-hmm. The only thing that can fix this guy is probably a lobotomy. Yeah. Well. Yeah." yeah. yeah. For in, in, in those terms and how they ran asylums back then anyways mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Um, the <clears throat> the story progresses obviously um, with Kitty going with Holmes to interview Violet and although it gets a little bit tense, she doesn't back down does she
1: She doesn't back down no she she holds her guard and she believes in her husband and even their lush, even like the famous Sherlock Holmes on the case trying to convince her against it does not dissuade her whatsoever.
0: And Kitty is a cool, cool character. She's got sass, man. Like she says yeah. to Holmes, "Like I don't want any money. I'm I, not interested in being rewarded. I just want my foot in this guy's face in the mud."
1: I picture like someone like I don't know, like Helena Bottom Carter or someone in that role. You know, like just yeah. like with her all frizzy face, or or I don't know, not no, not 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 um, Helena Bottom Carter. She's too too. She's too weird. Something like I don't know. Anyways, I'm just uh, she's she, she, she's like your typical. Uh, because I guess in her case, because of the way that he treated her and brought her down, I'm assuming at this point that Kitty is some sort of like uh, prostitute. Or yeah,
0: well, that's certainly what... It's hinted at in the Granada production, the Jeremy Brett production of this uh, this story. She does indeed look that way. She looks like not looks, sorry, she appears, and from the things she says, uh, because it's not verbatim, it's like she is a, a member of that kind of lower class, right? The uh, a working girl,
1: Funny but fact. isn't. Happy to be, bold. that's good. yeah. That's a working girl, but she, she but she's reduced to that position because mm-hmm. she's done that to survive to get where she is. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of her coping um, mechanism, I suppose, in this whole scenario to keep to keep going. I guess you could say. What was your fun fact? Oh, the fun fact. Do you know well, interesting fact about Grenada Studios? Do you know where Gre- Grenada Studios? What it was? Well, it I, is. I do not know. Manchester. Is that right, Manchester? It's a Manchester-based studio, so cool. a lot of the Grenada, sh- Grenada stuff was filmed in Manchester. Or Yeah, I mean, the yeah. stage stuff. Yeah, yeah, well, uh, soundstage yeah the stage stuff was in, was in Manchester. Cool. Yeah. Um, well, Holmes gets beat up, doesn't he? Yeah. And then he milks it in the press, not for the first time. Now, remember earlier in this, one thing I didn't mention, though, is that when Holmes has his confront- confrontation with the first confrontation <laughs> yeah, he encounters, threatened. Yeah. he's threatened by, oh, I knew this policeman from France who... He um, mysteriously got beaten up by a bunch of thugs afterwards. Yeah. Beaten near death or something like and that. And
0: apparently he used the Apache Indians to kill Apache Indians
1: well. who were kind of like uh, like mercenaries, I guess. <laughs> like Blackwater like mercenaries <laughs> or something you can hire at the time period. That was pretty badass, like the <laughs> Apache warriors. Was this, is this, is this, this actually happened? Or is this more like Arthur Conan Doyle's American Americana once again <laughs> yeah. inserting itself into the narrative? Like, yeah. were they actually Apache warriors? I know when I saw, like, that, the recent, um... I was kind of surprised in the recent, um... The Wonder Woman film. One of the members of the troop with Steve Trevor in World War One was actually an Apache warrior or something like that, huh? part of the team. So I'm wondering, I'm actually curious now, since Colonel Arthur Conan Doyle has showed it, were there... Was it prevalent to have, like, Native American Indians, like, leaving America, like, the, their homeland in America, and actually going to Europe for mercenary work? So. Was this a thing? Like, did they have basically, like, um... Like guys like I don't know West Studi, like in land, like from Last of the Mohicans like Magua you know like going around and doing these kind of work when when all this is you know they can't attack other Indian tribes now because other North, North uh, Native American tribes, Aboriginal tribes because the colonial powers are now you know in some kind of détente so to speak mm-hmm. so I don't know like were, were there were the more kind of malicious. Um, Members of these tribes were they forced to get work outside of the country? Uh, I'm really curious to look that up. If there actually was a like,
0: yeah, if they were like mercenaries.
1: Yeah, kind of like how like um, Roman emperors had like Germans as Praetorian guards that like towards the end of the empire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hired help. <coughs> well, uh, okay, we've covered
0: almost everything in the plot apart from the denouement, which is where Holmes randomly and I love the line; it's so cool. Uh, where Hol- Watson is, is still around, like, you know, he's getting badger back and forth and he's doing stuff with Holmes, but he's basically still in the shadow of Holmes and all of his investigation, yeah. until such time as Holmes gets beaten up, yes. because the threat is acted upon, and there are two kind of droogie guys who just jump Holmes and beat him up, and then Holmes tells Watson... To milk it,
1: to milk it, like I am yeah, near yeah, death. That's right. I am near death. Like yeah. we're talking about. Put it on thick, Watson. We're talking about what's it, Doctor Culverton, kind of Culverton Smith, like mm-hmm. kind of style. Like make him think that he's dying. You know. That's that. right. Yeah.
0: So the exaggerated image of Holmes's illness will lure the perpetrators into a false sense of security. Yes. And that's when he says to Watson, "Get yourself down. Meet Lomax at the London Library. I'll just read this line uh, for you. Because and the reason
1: why that is, before you you do yeah, that, yep, yep. is because we learn that. Uh, from Damery, I believe that, uh, and I think also from Kitty to an extent. I, I'm, now, quote me if I'm wrong. That from I don't know if with that they were the, she was a source or if Damery was a source, but like like many I think individuals who are pathological, they also have sort of a sense of like um, hobby as well. And not only does he keep a diary, but he's also a, an enthusiast, our, our Baron, for Chinese antiquity.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And this is the lead-in that Watson uh, uses, or Holmes uses Watson, I should say, to bringing down the Baron. Yes, indeed. Um, uh, Just
0: a little note, because we're at that point in the story. I said at the beginning that this was published in two parts. Yes. Halfway through the story, there is the mention of the murderous attack upon Sherlock Holmes. That news front page? Just as kind of like a recap. Well, that's what it is, but that is actually where the first part of the story ends in publication. The following month in the strand picks up with I think I stood stunned for some moments. So that's where the division was between the first So people thought that Holmes might actually
1: be dead. Yeah. Uh, ag- Which again. Is, yeah,
0: gimmicky. Yeah. yeah again. G- very this gimmicky. Is, uh,
1: very like dun dun dun, dun. Yeah. very kind of like nineteen uh, sixties Batman. But
0: everybody loves a bit of that. Oh. A of little course. bit of cliffhanging. Right? Of
1: course, yes, absolutely.
0: So anyway, uh, Watson then goes along and says, right, well blah blah blah, what can I do for you? And Holmes says you can spend most of the time or you spend the next 24 hours reading up on uh, Chinese pottery because that is going Cram. to be Watson Cram, Cram. Watson Cram yeah. <laughs> that's going to be the um, that, that's going to be what we're going to use to un, unhinge, not unhinge undo undo this guy yeah. undo this guy yeah. Um, yeah. and so he brings him a sample of real eggshell pottery from the Ming dynasty that he borrows from Demery who we know gets it from the king or the prince was it?
1: What is it? The prince or the king? King, the prince. I got a note on
0: it here later. Uh, his Majesty King Edward the Seventh. Yeah, Edward the
1: Seventh. Uh, sorry, not Edward the Sixth. I The Seventh.
0: Yeah, that's what he says. But the line is good, and I'm I'm struggling to find it here. I thought I had written it down, but Holmes has worked it out. That that's what he needs to do. Um, I also like the fact that Holmes managed to fight back against these guys because he's a single stick expert, and that's something we've seen before too. He can yeah. use his cane.
1: Yeah, he would use his cane, just like kind of how he kind of like uh, fought. Um, Monk, uh Moriarty mm-hmm. on the on the falls of Reichenbach.
0: Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Uh,
1: shit, I can't find it. Eddie, so really, Holmes, yeah. Holmes probably beat the, beat the fucking living shit out of these guys. Oh,
0: here it is. Here it is. Uh, now, Watson, I want you to do something for me. I am here to be used, Holmes. Well then, spend the next 24 hours in intensive study of Chinese pottery. <laughs> He gave no explanation, and I asked for none. (laughs) Of course he doesn't. By by long experience, I had learned the wisdom of obedience. Watson is a very patient, patient man. Is he or is he a chump? Anyway, <laughs> he manages to learn this stuff. He poses as a dealer, kind of a, a trader. He tries to pose as a dealer. He tries, but he's figured out eventually. But oh, very quickly. <laughs> he, well, he manages to keep it going for
1: a while. For, for a bit, for a bit. I'll give him that. And I then, still feel like it was a measly breadcrumbs that Wat, that uh, Arthur Grand Doyle fed to us for Watson awesomeness. <laughs> I'll take it, though, man. I'll yeah. take it at this stage. Arthur Conan Doyle's ideal for Watson Agency is for, like, I don't know, like a Lisa Turtle story on Say by the Bell. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. a 90s reference right, right okay. there. <laughs> Can you remember any Lisa
0: Turtle stories? No. <laughs> that's why they were very rare. I remember one where she was looking for work, and one where she ended up having to take Screech to the dance or something.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right. Like, because he was, like, the only one left. Because or... she found him name and stuff like that, yeah. <laughs> oh,
0: that's one of the great non-relationships in, in like history.
1: Yeah, Lisa and Screech. Yeah, what do you, what would he call that? Leach, leech, leech, leech. Is that yeah. the portmanteau? Leech. Nice.
0: <laughs> anyway, uh, so Watson rocks up to the London Library, which is described. In the book uh, Not at all But I managed to find A little bit on it This guy Lomax Who's a friend of Holmes I like this world building You get this idea Even though we never meet with Lomax You know that Holmes Has got a connection In deep research
1: Oh yeah Lomax Absolutely yeah. That guy will take care of shit
0: And of course you could Look at it and say Well that's just Toss away That's just Passover stuff But I like the idea That Holmes has got friends Yeah And people that trust him You know Uh, the London Library by the way because you asked Josh was founded in 1841 by a group that included John
1: Stuart Mill and Thomas Mm. Carlyle John Stuart Mill the famous civil rights guy isn't he the
0: London Library was located at 14 St. James Square and boasted a large subscription service to members only Watson's friend sorry Watson's friend Lomax it wasn't Holmes's friend is never heard of again but it's cool to picture him as part of this bigger world that maybe Holmes taps into as well but this is Watson's pal Lomax I correct myself Watson's pal mm-hmm. and it's neat that when he's told to study he's got someone to go to and I like that because that's a bit of agency it's not just like oh I ran to the store and bought some books he asked his pal what does he need to know about Ming Dynasty pottery
1: yeah Watson exists as a human being he knows (laughs) other people outside (laughs) of Sherlock Holmes he has friends (laughs) he has friends the guy did serve as a doctor in Afghanistan so I'm pretty sure he patched up some wounds so I guarantee you that guy has connections elsewhere besides Sherlock Holmes. Ah, I would be surprised that he probably has more connections than Sherlock Holmes.
0: He probably does in in a world outside of London maybe not. And I'm
1: sure Sherlock Holmes is very aware of them Mm -hmm. but, you know. Well, Holmes Holmes then
0: equips Watson with an eggshell porcelain saucer and this coming from the Ming Dynasty 1368 to 1644 founded by Hung Wu. Oh, good old Hung Wu. I'm just going to leave that there. (laughs) Historically was regarded as a despot who restored order and stability to Chinese culture after the reign
1: of the Mongol invaders. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know that. Uh, I didn't know. That's not like Romance of the Three Kingdoms kind of stuff, is it? Dude, I don't know. Chow Chow and all that kind of stuff like that? I can add that to the list of historical
0: figures I need to learn more about. There you go. Uh, But the eggshell porcelains of the Ming Dynasty were referred to as bodiless by the Chinese because of their extreme thinness. And they've been in production as early as the reign of Yong Lo in 1360. So there you go. Uh, Yeah, and that's what Watson studies in an effort to earn some time with our friend the Baron. He's wanting the time with the Baron. Holmes wants him to get it because Holmes and Kitty have got a plan. The bandage, the bruised, the battered Holmes is going to go with the... What would you call her? Uh, Not a fallen angel, but you'd certainly call her a a victim
1: of Gruber. Uh, I don't think she's a victim. I would I would say an avenging angel. Avenging angel, thank you. Avenging angel, you could say. But she's fallen in class because of him. Yes, she's yeah, she's she's fallen. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, and so they're going to go try to find this book, but they get caught because, as you say, Watson, it just ain't good enough. But they get caught.
1: Kitty though, has come prepared. What's she got, Josh? She literally has vitriol to th- to spill on uh, to throw, yes at, oil and vitriol uh, oil vitriol i had not i had not, I just stone vitriol was just a term that means like really kind of acidic um anger, um but I did not actually know that it was actually like a like a actual substance
0: yeah, sulfuric acid commonly used in the nineteenth century as a bleaching agent or disinfectant Josh, and a vitriol throwing also occurs in the blue carbuncle, oh yeah, that's right, yeah. So oh, good connection there, and
1: that's basically what Kitty does: gets a bit of revenge. Well, Watson stalls as much as he can to uh, with the whole guys regarding the collection, which um, Gruner sees through immediately because he's actually an intelligent villain. Yes, um, <laughs> and <laughs> then but by that point Sherlock, but because he laid, laid his guard down burned Sherlock Holmes's, um, I guess health, uh, Holmes manages to sneak in and get a, and to go for the diary. But it's Kitty that brings the comeuppance to Gruner. Yes, ultimately uh, destroying um, his most, I guess, his best weapon. Uh, his charm, his face, his features. charm, his face, his, charm, his features. His face, yeah. his features yeah. Throughout the story,
0: he's described as a very uh, menacingly handsome. Yeah. I guess.
1: So now he's like Doctor He's like he's like Victor von Doom, who is a very handsome like yep. um, European gentleman, and now his face is scarred and and whatnot. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> right, and so they managed to get the book, and they managed to. Convince behind the scenes, we never see this scene. He, but he, gets the, he gets the Harvey Dent treatment. He gets the Harvey Dent treatment, <laughs> and uh, and as a result, And who's a guy in Dick Tracy that also had the messed up face? Um, it's like they all have one. They all have messed up. Like faces. all great comic book m- myths. Well, have, two, faces, two, two, two Face. When yeah. yeah, I was thinking of the most, Two Face. Yeah,
1: I was thinking. I was thinking of the most. Phantom of the Opera. Phantom of the Opera. Ma- mass uh-huh. The half-half face as well. Anyway. Yeah.
0: Um. Yeah, so, and I guess you could say Teen Wolf also has a messed up face. Teen Wolf, yeah. Because
1: he's a fucking wolf. He's a, a wolf. But it's a scar, though. He can, like, go That's back true. to human he form, can. you know? Like, he exactly. Can. Yeah, good and shit. Most, like most werewolves. So,
0: Teen Wolf, let's just put him off the list. He doesn't deserve to be there. Uh, okay, good. Uh, but it was fun to reference him. It was fun to reference Teen
1: right. Wolf. Michael, Michael J. Fox, Teen Wolf, I'm, I'm assuming. Of course, of course. Yes. Yes. So yeah. Jason
0: Bateman wolf's just no good.
1: Yeah. It was J- Jason Bateman, wasn't it? So it was Jason Bateman. Yeah. He'll see, my James ba- Jason Bateman will always be Michael Bluth to me, so I'm not mm. going to worry about uh werewolf.
0: And we, we, we get the end of the story. Basically, that's that. With the sulfuric acid and the promise
1: of him being um, no longer... Uh, a threat to Violet. A threat to Violet uh, to Merrill Because and not only can she... Because it doesn't matter if he did what he did, but his face is burned off, so... Violet can't really do much of that at all anyways. Yeah.
0: And Watson tells us at the end that Sherlock Holmes was threatened with a prosecution for burglary, but when an <laughs> object is good and a client is sufficiently illustrious, even the rigid British law becomes human and elastic. My friend has not yet stood in the dock. And oh, do you know what? I had genuine smiles at the end of that story. I did
1: too. I yeah, that was a great ending. That's of good. all the Sherlock Holmes I was gonna point for the investigation, I actually gave this story a four mm-hmm. because I found that it, the investigation I took elements from a story we see before. But it's almost like he's perfecting that art in this form... He's perfecting that formula. And he did that really well in this story. And he also gave us... It wasn't some, oh, some... We read some report about something happened on this this ship sinking to the bottom of the Atlantic in a storm and never heard from again. Yeah. Like, there wasn't this off-screen justice. Like, we saw the justice of what happened to this guy. Arthur Conan Doyle brought us catharsis. You see? Catharsis. That helps you... That helps a tale even to be better than what it could... Than just having kind of like a... Ho hum, a very pat kind of ending, you know, yeah. like some of these stories do. Totally.
0: So let's get on to our pipes then. Have we said enough about everything that I we think can just we, I do? Think our we, scores? I think we covered
1: the st- we covered right. our scores. Let's go to the principles. Principles, what'd you say? Uh, Sherlock Holmes was on his game in this story. I liked, I mentioned about how I think that his, the misogyny of the villain was probably Holmes kind of self reflecting on his own kind of not likeness for women, and he kind of wanted to, in some way, project that feeling. And uh, what's the word? Um, and, and bring down someone like this to make himself feel better about about that. I think that's a psychological kind of point that I'm making based on the previous history of the character. Not necessarily in the story itself, but to me I just kind of got that. And I, I just really liked how that worked in and I think this is part of Arthur Conan's world building, story building, character building. Um, I I liked how he also gave. He trusted uh, Watson to do what he needed to do and get things done. And Watson, despite not having the best research time, did what you know did the best. He did a good job in in, like twenty-four hours. He did. Yeah, everyone worked together so well in this story. So I give the principles of four point five. Four point five. Yeah. Okay. Why did you hesitate there? I wanted to give it a four because I've seen this story before in so many iterations. But as I said, this is the perfection of the formula, to my in my opinion. And I just found that they, whenever Sherlock Holmes. Ha- Whenever Quinn and Doyle has Holmes and Watson doing what they do best and working together to get the job done, and and showing like you know their own sort of innovation, like Watson uh, using a friend Lomax to get to help him with his research, Sherlock Holmes using Watson for to help him solve a crime, Sherlock Holmes um, being you know. Um, reticent about helping the case until he sees the man that um, Deemery is and he sees the importance of the client the pragmatism, just the believability of the characters was so strong in this story that instead of giving what I would normally give it just a very good, well um, sketched out characters for this tale, I think give gave it the extra edge for me to give it 4.5
0: Okay, well, I'm going an extra edge Five? I went for a five for the first time in a while with the principals here. Awesome. Because I think everything that you said, and it was so good to see them working together, and I like the off, Like, I know it's kind of... It's kind of, like servitude Watson offers here you know like I'll do this for you I'll research the Ming Dynasty I'll but he puts himself in danger again in a way like you're saying he does where you got throwing the cherry bomb in, he, in, in the early he wasn't in, early in, in early danger with Iron
1: Alley though that's the difference here he was in danger well, he's dang- in danger getting picked he up for throwing bombs like a cherry bomb to the head. yeah but this guy I'm sure in a moment if yeah he, would kill him he, uh, he probably had like a freaking yeah. revolver like yeah. somewhere he could just like blow his brains out right then mm-hmm. and there right or so, knife him with a I don't know with like a pen or something I, this guy just seems like a, something he would do something that way but I
0: like the way the guys work together and I like the way the principles operate mentally yes mentally it's great formulaic writing uh, the principles are good in the story I, I think like and this is ultimately what it comes down to at the end of all of this when we're going to look at the best stories the best Holmes and Watson adventures together the, the relationship the camaraderie the yin and yang mm-hmm. this is a really really good one Yeah. And I'm going five on it. Okay. So, investigation, I also scored very highly because I think the story, and again, we said at the outset, you know, that a lot of these stories recently have been quite poor in comparison to the early ones. And we're not going to get into the reasons why, but sometimes when you get a when you come across a good one, you're like, "Oh, this is really, really good." Is it as really, really good as some of the earlier investigations? Does it deserve marks for high writing and good setting and good denouement, rising action, structurally, good pacing, for sure. good pacing as the early ones? Is it that good? I think it is. I think it is. And so I went 4.5. I don't know why I shaved off that little half point. I feel because maybe I don't want to be too generous, but you know, 4.5, 4.5 You've is an seen awesome, this type story before, awesome story. of story,
1: but. We've seen it, this type of story before, but with much lower scores, in my opinion. So, what'd you go for? Four point five. Nice. What about the
0: perpetrators? How do you feel about the Baron?
1: Uh, the Baron, I give him. I, gi- I give him a four point five, not great. a full five, because we've seen types of his character before. Yes. Like, but yes. I give it that extra point five just because a. I give it the four because it was just a. Uh, he was just a really great villain, and there was a catharsis to his end, and there was a great build up to that. Like it was just a really satisfying um, beginning and end to this villain. And uh, I liked how he was pulled from a very kind of modern perspective of psychology, pathology, Uh, how people like this behave, a manipulator. He wasn't over-the-top cartoonish. In my opinion, he he never was. He was confident and smug through the entire thing. He was a sociopath. Mm -hmm. And I believed him. Yeah, I believed him. He wasn't twisting his mustache. And there wasn't any features that really made him look like an ugly... I found a lot of villains in Sherlock Holmes are these big, balding or creepy-looking dudes or whatever, right? Here you have a handsome kind of guy who is just... Preying on women. Preying on women. And he just pulled it off very well without being cheesy, without being um, over the top. And that's what I liked about him. And then I get another .5 because I like just the details that you give him about the guy. He collects a diary. He's into Chinese antiquity. So he is a human being despite a very, very, yeah. very, very flawed um, and flawed and malicious human being. He's still a human being. And I found him believable as a character and, and as, a, as a villain.
0: Narratively, those those little uh, fleshing out details about his hobbies and things give Holmes
1: the exploitive opportunities. Exactly. That that, that, that adds to the strategy of bringing the guy down. Well, I went for a four. Um, Good stuff.
0: I don't know why I didn't go higher than that. I guess I just felt like on his own, I mean, he seemed to have... like I would like maybe a little bit more about how he gained his influence to have all these henchmen. Well, he was a baron it's so that, that yeah, this, yeah. this think but see it. okay, explain this to me yeah because this is a great point for us to pick up on. I'm reading this in two thousand and eighteen wondering how much rule and how much influence a baron actually has or had in the time of this writing a baron would have been able to afford the, mercenaries the mercenaries but just can you can you lay
1: any light on that Mercenaries and I would say that I, I think this story may have neglected to mention it. I think that to me it would might be reason why I didn't give it a full five, is as you said, how does he maintain the influence? So if he's a baron and he's doing the things that he does, then chances are that he probably has dead more illustrious relatives, uh illustrious client, I guess you could say, mm. um, that are doing what they are doing. Um that sorry that so that means that he has the wealth and the resources to do what he wants to do. And men at this time period could do what they wanted in that sense because especially especially going into like the late Victorian age where you have a very repressed sexuality that was basically showing itself as almost Babylonian in terms of how it was actually expressed in the underworld and in, and in private circles. Like We're talking Eyes Wide Chuck kind of stuff here, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we just, we're, we're, we're dealing with the fin de cycle. We're dealing with the turn of the century. We're dealing with the era of like Parisian nightclubs. We're dealing with the build-up towards the First World War here. So we're dealing with a very Babylonian type of Europe and someone with these kind of um, uh, what's the word, um, predilections, um, hobbies, ideas, um, who, has the, who has the resources to get all this Chinese antiquity? Perversions. Perversions, exactly. We have someone here who has the resources to do it. So him being the scion of some, I don't know, some baron of Austria or whatever, just letting his kids run wild and spoiled, letting his kids run wild and spoiled, and this is what happens when you spoil a child like this, is they think they're selfish, they think the world revolves around them, and when you have, like, I guess I'm doing a kind of like a, a psychological, Quantico-esque profile here, but it, it seems to me that um, this is someone who... I guess what I'm trying to say is that I think I reached the point of what I was trying to say, and now what I'm doing here... <laughs> is blethering. Is I'm kind of blithering now. Right, okay, well, let's th- not blether
0: anymore. Yeah.
1: You've made your point. So do you agree with my point? I
0: agree with your point. Of course, I can't disagree with it.
1: Yeah. What I'm, what, what, what
0: I'm saying is you're providing context that I, you know, wouldn't necessarily have hit upon myself because... Exactly. At the end
1: of the day, um, you are more of a genius than I am. Oh, okay. Well, that um, platitude aside... Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, my score
0: for him was a 4, yours was a 4.5. On to Environments, which are, yeah, okay, whatever. They're
1: they're okay. They're a 3.
0: They're a 3 for me, too.
1: Yeah, Environments are a 3. Environments was not the focus of this story. Definitely not. Character and narrative was the focus of this story. Yeah. And Environments got the short shaft. Eh, you know what? We're in Victorian London. It's the same old shit that we've seen for, like, about two years now. We we are. We are in
0: Victorian (laughs) London, but that's just it. We don't see Victorian London very much in this story. We don't know much
1: about the Gruner's house. We no. know he has the, that big nice house, the big case with like the yeah. inter- is a collection and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Some interior some here. interior stuff, but it's it's very very it's. It's formative, but yeah. it's, it's, it doesn't stand out.
0: This story has got the scope, and I think maybe we've said this six times. I made a note of it a couple of episodes ago, six or seven times when I was refreshing the eps, how many times we've said this. This is one of the stories that could have been fleshed out. Because you've got Underworld stuff, because you've got the backstory of him and the Kyber, the, yeah. the, the, the client, because you've got or the client, um, the client's friend, because you've got him as, a, as a, a Baron and what his influence could have been and how he developed his own little kingpin yeah. I- environment, you've got a lot of scope for a deeper longer story this yeah. is the 6th or 7th we've said could have been a novella, it could have been a novella, you know what I mean? because yeah. this character is good enough, this criminal is badass enough and the girl is naive enough, do you know what I mean? Like you, you've got all the features that work well for this adventure
1: to be longer Yeah, he has his Baron, his baronetcy, mm-hmm. his background to back up uh, the reasons why he should be taken seriously by Violet, and right. to be believed by Violet, right? He's not some like scummy-looking, like bottom dweller who is trying to like pervert this woman or whatever, right? With, yeah. with being a ha- even though he's handsome and charmful, he also has the aristocracy to back himself up. Yeah. So that's what makes him a formidable villain because he has those resources and he has that clout, and I guess that adds an extra bit of mystique to him for for Violet's attraction to him.
0: But the environment or, isn't really. It isn't really no. shown in in great detail. It doesn't service the story a hell of a lot. No. It's just another big house he's got in London. Do you know what I mean? Like it's
1: it's what yeah. it is. So I went for a three as well. I went for three because it was very basic. I'm but
0: gonna... see, in terms of the backstory of these characters, the supporting cast with Sir James, as I was saying a minute ago, Kitty, Shinwell Jones, there's enough backstory here that could have created a novella.
1: Oh, absolutely. There is a lot of stuff in there, like
0: the Hol- Holmes's relations to these characters and all the rest of it, like and the Baron himself, I went 4.5 for the secondary feet characters because I thought there's tons to enjoy here. Tons to like and tons to sink your teeth into.
1: Yeah, there was definitely... A, 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 for a short story. For a short story, there were some mini characters in here and I, I would say 4.5 uh, outside of a full 5 I think is a perfect score for that. So I gave it 4.5 as well.
0: Well, you and I are fairly on par with this story then. Uh, that brings me to a twenty. I'm at no, sorry. I'm at twenty-one, and you are nine and nine. Is it? You are also at a twenty-one. Is that possible? Do we have the same scores for everything?
1: That's crazy. No, we, we don't. We're usually by point five. We're off usually. We're usually off by. Wait a minute. Five Maybe I four. got that wrong.
0: Uh, nine and four is thirteen. Eighteen. I'm at twenty-one, and you are four, 5, four five, four five. Four, five eight. Yeah, you're twenty-one too. We got there in a different way, though. Oh yes, I know why. Because you went. I went five, where you went four five, and I went four, where you went four point five. ha uh-huh. Yeah, so that's it. That's the story of the illustrious client. Safe to say, one that we would recommend. Absolutely, good writing, um, good characters, good fun, good action, good agency for Watson, and overall uh, believability factor that we haven't maybe seen from a couple. Well, I mean, his last bow aside,
2: yeah.
1: believability and character that we haven't seen in a while. We're kind of moving from like I think like kind of like gothic horror type villains now hmm. to almost more. Residential, uh, More realistic, residential uh, yeah. kind of yeah. villains. Yeah. Well, we'll see how
0: that follows up in the case of the Blanched Soldier, which is coming up next. Yes. Everybody All right, so normally anxiety. we have uh, musical selections after we do our stories, but we're going to save our musical selections because we're only doing two stories. We're going to save them for the end. For the end. For the end. And now we're on to the Blanched Soldier. You had something you wanted to say about that as a preface. Am I correct?
1: Or am I incorrect? The Blanched Soldier? Maybe you didn't. No, I was just going to say that um, I, I think we'll be talking more about. I think we will probably have. Le- I don't know. Is there? What was the question that I posed to our audiences? I think I asked them what was. Um, what do they think about? Oh yeah, who is? Who do you think is? Before we go go into this tale if you read it how many Rattlers have you had <coughs> who do man? you think you need a lot of Rattlers to lose the brain that you've lost I got some Irene Adler right here you've got some Irene R- Rattler Irene Rattler yeah okay fuck me okay yeah. anyway Irene Rattler yeah that's, that's gotta be like a drink we can we can create or something for I'm sure it's trademarked we should actually have we should actually have like um, some point soon drinks a drink name like event drinks based on Sherlock Holmes characters Okay. So we have the Irene Radler. Uh-huh. Oh, that's what we can talk about when we're done
0: this. Yes. you right. we were wondering if we were gonna do the, the film spin-off, we were gonna do the Holmes meets Trump. Remember we mentioned that in the last episode. No, we are gonna do we're we're gonna freestyle some drink ideas for the
1: Holmes universe. Yeah. When yeah. we're done. Holmes meets Trump, I like that. Robert Mueller of the FBI hires Sherlock Holmes <laughs> to bring down to bring down Donald Trump and the GOP conspiracy collusion with Russia. Okay, we'll get there, maybe we'll get there too. Let's fly through the
0: Blanche Soldier. Uh, okay. In terms of preface, then you obviously had nothing prepared. No. Uh, Holmes rates this as "quote among the strangest happenings in my collection." Uh,
1: okay, his own collection sucks. Then compared to Watson's, <laughs> he does. Yeah. By the way, Sherlock Holmes is narrating yes. this particular tale for the first time. I guess or last mm-hmm. time?
0: For the first? No, no, not for the last time. He uh, he'll narrate again,
1: but yeah, basically. Before you go that, though, yeah, I do sorry, love sorry. how, how he, when he uses his story, he says, Perhaps I'd rather invite this persecution, since I have often had occasion to point out to him how superficial are his ac- own accounts, and accuse him of pandering to popular taste instead of confining himself rigidly to facts and figures. Try it yourself, Holmes, he has retorted, and I am compelled to admit that, having taken my pen in my hand, I do begin to realize that the matter must be presented in such a way as, m- as may interest the reader. The following kids can hardly fail to do so, as it is among the strangest happenings in my collection, though a chance that Watson had no note of it in his collection. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: (laughs) So, uh, I I, I, like this this egotistical kind of thing going, well, you forgot about that story, oh yeah, you weren't here for that, because you were with your wife, who you abandoned me for. I'm trying to find the exact line that he uses here. It's kind of like very passive-aggressive. Well, I mean... Here you go. The good Watson had at that time deserted me for a wife. The only selfish action which I can recall in our association, I was alone. <laughs> yeah. All by myself. That's the song we have to. That, that's the song that we have to use for, yeah. the, for for this for this show.
0: Well, anyway, that that's kind of how it's all set up. But Holmes does narrate the story himself. <clears throat> he does. And it is the story of James Dodd, a client whose friend Godfrey Emsworth, his missing chum, is uh, presumed what, damaged, hurt upon or otherwise besotted by his father, the Colonel Emsworth, a curmudgeon who we meet um, in a number of different, well no, we meet him in two different ways Uh, first as an info drop, then as
1: a Descripted, Descripted interview in, in, type in, thing. In, inter- interview be uh, that's described by Dodd to Holmes.
0: Yeah, and the whole story is basically a misunderstanding
1: or a missing diagnosis, I suppose. A misunderstanding a miss- of the, the case. The di- diagnosis yeah. of, of the case, exactly. Um, and it's interesting that too uh, about Dodd and Emsworth is is that they're pals because they just finished serving in the Bar War, which has to do with the um, English, I guess, colonial arm- imperial armies versus the Boers, who were the Dutch-German, um, I guess, s- settlers of what we know known as South Africa. South Africa. Yeah, South, South, Africa. South Africa. South Africa. South Africa, yeah. I don't know if that's a... That's not as good as my James Mason from earlier in the day, is it? No. no I apologize to South Africans who may may not be listening to this. Yeah. And, of course, the Boers... Now, uh, did, uh, did the Boers win the Boer War, or, or were they defeated? You're the history expert. I am, but I just didn't do this. Interestingly enough, um, Arthur Conan Doyle has written on account of the Boer War. Yeah, he, he was there. He even created a character. Yeah, he was there. He was there in person as a journalist. I guess he was, or no, he was just rocking, rocking it. Oh, so he was just he was out there as a soldier. <laughs> I don't know, rocking it during the Boer War.
0: Bauer? Is that how you describe it? Like Jack Bauer? <laughs> like, what are you on about, <laughs> Jack Bauer? Yeah. Tell me where it is. <laughs> Damn it! It's in South Africa, Jack. Damn it, Chloe! South Africa.
1: How do South Africans... They have a lovely accent, don't they? They have a very good accent, bro. Very it's, good accent, South Africans. Is that it? That's, that's not bad, I think. Yeah, South, African. yeah South Africans. Yeah, South Africans. Kind of, it's like a German kind of weird kind of pigeon English. You know what I mean? Um, no. It's a, pigeon, it's, <laughs> no a, it, it's a pigeon... Well, it's kind of a it's pigeon... It's not a pigeon language.
0: English. It's a pigeon accent. Pigeon accent, yeah. Um... Right, anyway, these are not important things here for the t- adventure of the blank uh, Let's just say
1: our South African accents are terrible, and we'll with that. Many apologies. Not as good as your James Mason, that's for mm-hmm. damn sure. Thank you. Um, yes, James Mason shall... No, right, he will not return. James <laughs> he, he, will not return. He may return. If he we discuss return. Murder by Decree, he can return. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now we got to watch Murder by Decree and do an episode about it now. We will have to. It's <laughs> off, yes. uh,
0: right, well, anyway, Holmes tells us that the client, James Dog, when he rocks up, he explains where he met this. This is like a, a you know, I kind of sympathize with James Dodd here because it's just a pal that he's looking after. A, yeah. A good, a good wartime chum,
2: A buddy. good wartime chum, yeah. Yes, exactly. a friend he
0: met in battle. Exactly. Uh, we're going to service together.
1: Yes, in the bar, against the bars.
0: Yes, against the bars. Uh, he was Colonel Emsworth's only son, don't you know? Emsworth, the Crimean VC. And he had the fighting blood in him, as they say. Pep, Pep, to you, sir. So it's no wonder he volunteered. There was not a finer lad in the regiment. We formed a friendship, you know, the sort of friendship which can only be made when one lives the same life and shares the same joys and sorrows. He was my mate, I tell you, and that means a good deal in the army, yes? We took the rough and the smooth together for a year of hard fighting. Then he was hit with a bullet, don't you know, from an elephant gun in the action near Diamond Hill outside Pretoria. Oh, I got one letter from the hospital at Cape Town and one from Southampton. Since then, not a word, don't you see, Mr. Holmes? Not one word. Six months and more. He is my closest pal. Won't you help me, Obi Wan Kenobi? And that type of stuff. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly.
0: And so Holmes says, Well, tell me a little bit more. And that's when he learns that Godfrey finally went down to his pal's house. And that's where things got a bit squirmy. Because the colonel was not exactly inviting of his
1: friend's son. No. Oh, sorry. Of his son's friend. Of his son's friend. No, absolutely. He may, even though he admits, though, that you may be well-intentioned in what you're asking and, and whatnot, if he even admits that, at least, which kind yeah. of shows some sort of, like, sympathy, I guess, That's in right. his own way, and shows that this guy's hiding something, but he may not be a bad guy.
0: Yes. But his mother, Godfrey's mother, is a little bit more accepting of his request to get a bit of info on where the son is. And they basically tell him that, oh no, he's traveling the world. We just sent him on a boat to go
1: around the world. Yes, a boat to go which around the world.
0: Certainly doesn't raise any suspicions. No, no. Not
1: at all. Not at all. It raises all kinds of suspicions. <laughs> is that what you're going to do to your son? Yeah. It's not, it's not like they can't, tr- they can't tr- track him down by his IP address. Li- well, is that like the equivalent of a gap year? I guess so yeah like it's like it's like a gap year kind of yeah you're getting you're collecting your thoughts together You get the war is done your enlistment's done and now you got to decide what you're going to do with your life are you going to continue with the military are you going to open up a business to get into practice go to spec to university yeah. what are you going to do
0: yeah anyway uh, so things get stranger down at Tuxbury something Gold Hall something me had
1: to worry about his RESPs, though no he wouldn't have had or student loans
0: um, we're told that Ralph who is the butler yes And his wife The baller did not
1: do it by the way.
0: Quite friendly with Godfrey and were revealing in their own way, particularly Ralph when he's crying, about why the boy is no longer there. Yes. We know there's something going on because when Godfrey or sorry, when James gets down on the lukewarm invitation of the wife of sorry of the the mother Yeah, the the Colonel's wife to stay and kind of explore the area we see that the butler is quite teary-eyed when he explains that the boy, Godfrey, his friend who he's looking for, has gone away. Anyway. And we know from that reason there's something, something strange is going on here. But we don't yet know that the boy is actually
1: there on the property. We know. We do not know. We do know this, though, when the point where when our friend is... When Dot is going to bed, he sees the figure of his friend staring at him from the window. Yes. Very pale and... Very pale A- and and sunken faced and and spectral almost as he's staring from from the window.
0: Yeah, and the reason, okay, just to speed up our plot summary here, torturous as it must be to listen to. Yes, um, the reason that Godfrey was spotted in one of the outbuildings of the estate is because Godfrey is actually being held there, um, secluded, secluded from society. Sec- sequestered, yeah. Because wouldn't you know it? Quarantined, I guess you could say after being shot in battle he crawled into this like so you gotta imagine the scene he's crawling injured he comes across a home a house he's kind of in a stupor yes. he can't really see properly and he crawled himself into the bed a random bed which happened to be the bed of a leper patient because yes. the building he crawled into just happened to be a building full of these contagious war vets Slash people invalids like how would you describe it? It's a bizarre like even Doyle's description yeah, well, of it is a little bit strange. It,
1: well, they, I think they were going. They were, his him and his company were on a tr- were on a, were, were about to board the train or on a train or something, and they were attacked by the Boers there like a bunch of like vi- uh, like a whole vengeful c- company they were abandoned or something su- they were assault- they were ambushed and then he manages to crawl to the to the closest house he can get into and of course the reason why he was able to not, he wasn't followed or pursued was because it was a leper colony yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so he slept in the bed of a leper here, here it is in the story when I came to my... This is Godfrey's explanation. That's his law, but I don't know what it is. <laughs>
0: when I came to myself, it was nightfall. I raised myself up, feeling very weak and very ill. To my surprise, there was a house close behind me, a fairly large house with a broad step and many windows. It was deadly cold. You remember the kind of numb cold which used to come at evening, a deadly, sickening sort of cold? Uh, very different from a crisp, healthy frost. Well, I was chilled to the... And you can't help a bit of broke back Mountain thing going on here. Do you remember how cold it was there when we were out in the desert? You know? Uh, while I was chilled to the bone my only hope seemed to lie in reaching that house I staggered to my feet I dragged myself along hardly conscious of what I did I have a dim memory of slowly ascending the steps entering a wide open door passing into a large room which contained several beds throwing myself down with a gasp of satisfaction upon one of them it was unmade but that troubled me not at all I drew the clothes over my shivering body and in a moment I was in a deep sleep it was morning when I awakened and it seemed to me that instead of coming out out into a world of sanity I had emerged into some extraordinary nightmare. The African sun flooded through the big curtainless windows and every detail of the great bare whitewashed dormitory stood out hard and clear. In front of me was standing a small dwarf-like man with a huge bulbous head who was jabbering excitedly in Dutch, waving two horrible hands which looked to me like brown sponges. Behind him stood a group of people who seemed to be intensely amused by the situation, but a chill came over me as I looked at them. Not one of them was a normal human being. Very PC there. Uh, Everyone was twisted or swollen or disfigured in some strange way. The laughter of these strange monstrosities was a dreadful thing to hear. None of them spoke English, but it turns out that what our friend Godfrey did was, as I said earlier, pop himself into the comfy bed of a leper. And so you've got sort of a twisted Goldilocks story here. Instead of three (laughs) bears, we've got a leper colony and a bunch of strange dwarf-like
1: impid looking creatures yeah and the porridge was not great the to porridge say that. was not
0: great although sustaining enough to bring him back to health but the doctor who was uh, on site basically says you foolish man you've crawled into a leper's bed and so when Godfrey is sent home from his injury uh, healed I guess he can't join society because he's a leper and there is an enormous amount of shame and I guess contagious fear about that yes and so Holmes manages to figure out through James Dodd's account that this is most likely the case, that he's suffering from a condition or as we've seen previously there's also a suspicion in Holmes that they're trying to keep this boy to
1: retain some wealth, some inheritance. There's that suspicion and this is very believable yeah. based on the stories that we read in the past. Mm-hmm. So in our mind we're thinking as the perpetrator is it that? Oh, it's it got be, to be Colonel Answorth yeah. yeah, this guy is a pos. But then of course, this seems like a very rudimentary, simple story. <laughs> it is kind of that way, isn't it? It has a bit of a twist. I think. I think that's what kind of makes the narrative a bit different.
0: And becomes Hol- because Holmes has got this medical suspicion as one of his leading hypotheses. He brings along with him
1: a buddy. Yeah, which I kind of found this interesting. It's it that was kind
0: of interesting, This yeah. is when
1: H- Watson's abandoned him and he's working on That's his right, own. a bastard. But I think it's a good, for the principles part of the um, pipes here, I think this is a good point that Sherlock Holmes has agents that he works with besides Watson to get the mystery solved. But he tolerates Watson and when Watson is around... He misses him when Watson's not around. He misses him. He's bitter towards Watson leaving him. He does appreciate Watson and he does care for Watson. And I think this story shows that. Mm-hmm. And so Sir James Saunders is brought along. Yeah, Sir James Wa- Saunders, not Watson, yeah. is brought
0: along. And he, but he's treated similar to Watson in some cases. He's told to stay in the carriage when yes, he's needed.
1: He is, and he basically does. Yeah, so he's like basically James, Like he's like Watson, but he's like he's like stand-in Watson yeah. or understudy Watson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So
0: basically as we've seen from Holmes before and he actually narrates this exact line in the story somewhere when you scratch off or tick off the impossible what is left must be the explanation explanation. and so we get this sort of step you through the way my brain works towards the end of the story where he dismisses each of the theories he had and he explains the kind of it, it, well, it, essentially, it's an explanation of the Deus
1: ex Sherlockia. Exactly. Yeah. So we have here that process that I starts upon the supposition that when you have eliminated all which is impossible, then whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. It may well be that several explanations remain, in which case one be the, in in which case one tries test after test until one or other of them has a convincing amount of support. We will now apply this principle to the case in point. As it was first presented to me, there were three possible explanations of the seclusion or incarceration of this gentleman in an outhouse of his father's mansion. There was explanation that he was in hiding for crime, or that he was mad and that he, that he wished to avoid an asylum, or that he had some disease which caused his segregation. I could think of no other adequate solutions. These then had to be sifted and balanced against each other. The criminal solution would not bear inspection. No unsolved crime had been reported from that district. I was sure of that. If it were some crime not yet discovered, then clearly it would be to the interest of the family to get rid of the delinquent and send him abroad rather than keep him concealed at home. I could see no explanation for such a line of conduct. Insanity was more plausible. The presence of the second person in the outhouse suggested the keeper. The fact that he locked the door when he came out strengthened the supposition and gave the idea of constraint. On the, other hand, this On the other hand, this constraint could not be severe, or the young man could not have got loose and come down to have a look at his friend. You remember, Mr. Dodd, that I felt round for points, asking you, for example, about the paper which Mr. Kent was reading. Had it been The Lancet or The British Medical Journal, it would have helped me. It is not illegal, however, to keep a lunatic upon private premises so long as there is a qualified person in attendance and the authorities have been duly notified. Why then, Aldous' desp- desperate desire for secrecy? Once again, I could not get the, get the theory to fit the facts. There remained a third possibility, into which, rare and unlikely as it was, everything seemed to fit. Leprosy is not uncommon in South Africa. By some extraordinary chances, youth have, might have contracted it. His people would be placed in a very dreadful position, since they would desire to save him from segregation. Great secrecy would be needed to prevent rumors from getting about and subsequent interference by the authorities. A devoted medical man, if sufficiently paid, would easily be found to take charge of the sufferer. There would be no reason why the latter should not be allowed freedom after dark. Bleaching of the skin is a common result of the disease. The case was a strong one, so strong that I determined to act as if it were actually approved. When on arriving here, I noticed that Ralph, who carries out the meals, had gloves, which are impregnated with disinfectants. My last doubts were removed. A single word showed you, sir, that your secret was discovered, and if I wrote rather than said it, it was to prove to you that my discretion was to be trusted. I like that last part. Because that explains in great psychological detail why Emsworth relented to Holmes right Mm -hmm. away. It wasn't just like the deus ex machina hitting. We see how Holmes works here, and it's not miraculous. It's scientific. It's to the point it makes sense. Mm -hmm. I really like that particular description of how he solved that case. Mm -hmm. Uh, And how we're told how he likes it. That it wasn't leprosy this man... And luckily, just for the sake of happy endings, he doesn't have leprosy, he has ichthyosis, (laughs) which is very treatable.
0: It's very treatable. A scale-like affection of the skin, unsightly, obstinate, but possibly curable, and certainly non-infective, says Sir James. So here, Holmes'
1: character is... I mean, well, what did you think? What did you think of him? I thought Holmes was great in the story, but he wasn't anything wonderful. I mean, I, I liked the little passive-aggressive not nods at Watson. I thought that was that was entertaining. Yeah, it shows that, some that shows is entertaining. Yeah. But to me, I, I, I don't... I, I think it's a solid four for principals. Jade. Um I don't. And Watson wasn't here, so we can't really view him. I guess Saunders. Uh, I don't know. He's not a principal. He's no, a the only principal him. we have is Sherlock Holmes. And yeah. to me, uh, I, I think three point five. I think would have been if there wasn't anything just to Sherlock Holmes to give them perspective, seeing his perspective of solving the case. I think would have been a three or a three point five. But the, I like the passive-aggressive kind of um, little nibbles at Watson in this story. Right. So I gave that more character. So I found that it more, provides more character. So I give it a full four. Cool.
0: I gave it a 3.5. Okay. Um, I didn't like it. Just that extra shade that you did. But yeah, it's okay. You know, as a Holmes-narrated story, he he's okay. All, all right, I do the think hype we too. got a big info dump in this one, though, which is why I brought the investigation mark down a little bit. I was at a 3.5 for the investigation. I was
1: 3.5 for the investigation as well. I wanted to give it a 4 because I kind of liked the, the twist at the end. Um, and that it was it was relatively well written. You know, and there were some good It was well written, but... There. I found Dodd. I, li- I liked Dodd. I liked, his, I liked his loyalty to his friend. I wanted to solve that. There was urgency to the storyline. And there was mystery because you're wondering what the hell is the father concealing? It, how cartoony is his father? Or is there something else going on here? That's what I was curious to see. And I knew because we were seeing this in Sherlock Holmes' perspective, it would not be as simple as we think it would be. Yes, Even though yeah. how he solves the problem to him, it's very, very simple. Yeah, It's interesting how you get that sort of juxtaposition.
0: But as soon as we learned as readers, and forget Holmes for a second, as soon as we learned as readers that um, Godfrey was on the property, mm. I knew oh, that there wasn't anything really horrible
1: going on. He's being quarantined for some reason. That's yeah. what I got. Levercy yeah. yeah. I would not have got, but maybe some sort of like... Uh, just like he's sick or something like that, or, or I don't know, like maybe he went nuts, or he has like some kind of PTSD mm-hmm. from the yeah, attack. Yeah. That's kind of where I was going at. Yeah. So I kind of like how uh, how they, that Arthur Conan Doyle, I guess, being having a medical background, he kind of plays mystery uh, with the whole idea of what, the, what, the, what we know that this guy is being isolated for some reason, but what is the reason why? So there's the clues, right?
2: mhm
0: I also thought it was neat that there's uh, the hint of placebo at the end of this story too. Like maybe maybe some of the some of the symptoms that were being expressed were done through suggestion. When he's told he's in a leper's bed, he goes away thinking that, and that's kind of what happens. Yes, he has ichthyosis, but it's not quite the same. Like uh, the doctor or Holmes at the end then says, "No, the doctor sort of." Uh, Yes, Mr. Holmes, a coincidence is a remarkable one, but is it a coincidence? Are there not subtle forces at work which we know, of which we know little? Are we assured that the apprehension from which this young man has no doubt suffered terribly since his exposure to its contagion may not produce a physical effect which stimulates that which it fears?
2: Hmm. Good
0: point. Uh, anyway, I, I still kind of think that 3.5 for this particular story might be a little generous because there's not a lot of intrigue here. Mm-hmm. A convenient happy ending and...
1: There is a very convenient happy ending there, but it, where else would it have gone? Yeah, I guess.
0: Opinion? I guess the it, it's interesting enough as a Holmes story that narrating Holmes as a narrator. I, I don't know. It's I, a I'm not that, interested that in that
1: gimmick really. It's a gimmick that just seems like okay. Yeah, but it seemed to me like what, why this story. Yeah, I guess that's how I feel about it. Right? Yeah, like uh, particularly because
0: he says that this is one of the greatest in his yeah. in his collection. Really, this is one of your greatest, man.
1: I think three point five. I I'm gonna actually gonna probably go to a three point five instead of four on this one. You're, you're you're making really good points there about it, and I've only read this story like once and really not really analyzed it fully. I so, so I I think three point five. I think is my ca- I think three point five is me being generous. But I'll stay with it.
0: Yeah, I was just a little unimpressed with the ending, to be honest. Like, well,
2: just feel free to
1: drop two or three.
0: No, I'm not. I'm leaving. I'm leaving it where it is. Uh, my or sorry, your mark for perpetrators. This is a tough one because who is the perpetrator? Who folks? Who is the perpetrator? Who is the perpetrator? The, perpe- there, the perpetrator.
1: Like, is there one? There is no perpetrator to the case. I guess you could say that uh, Colonel Emsworth is the perpetrator. Well,
0: he's he's meant to be the yeah. yeah he, he's a dick he's not a nice man. The
1: perpetrator is the leper's bed he slept in. And, and can I
0: ask you though like, how much do you know about these types of figures like the colonel? Like, can you, Is it believable that he would deny his he's a colonel he's a military man yeah. his son's a military man with an experience his son's friend's a military man why wouldn't he just be up front with them and say look Godfrey is here but he's He's suffering. For, he's getting treated for something. Why? Like
1: why the? Why, the, why the, the? The secret is it the shame or what uh, is it? Most officers from officer tradition even be from aristocracy in most cases, right? Okay. So therefore, there is the whole need for discretion for aristocratic families. So
0: then, what you're saying is you believe that Colonel Emsworth's behavior follows is consistent with what you would expect? Absolutely. Okay. I just thought that maybe I'm looking at this naively, not looking at it in context of the military position, but I just kind of felt like Godfrey's boy has got a good friend here, clearly who's traveled down on his own dime to go see him. why wouldn't he just cut him uh, honest?
1: I think that prof- military that man to military man true but I think I think that he gave that kind of like that um that he gave him that ground though he said something about um I'm going to go to it now, the response that Colonel Emsworth gives to James Dodd. Yeah. Exactly. I have already made every allowance upon that score. I must ask you, however, to drop these inquiries. Every family has its own inner knowledge and its own motives, which cannot always be made clear to outsiders, however well-intentioned. My wife is anxious to hear something of Godfrey's past, which you are in position to tell her, but I would ask you to let the present and the future alone. Such inquiries serve no useful purpose, sir, and place us in a delicate and difficult position." This is the thing. Uh, he says, well-intentioned, and to me that's him kind of, in his own way, I think, signaling to Godfrey that his care, to Dodd's story, that his care is welcomed, his feelings for his son is welcomed, but because he is who he is of his station, he cannot acknowledge it. I also okay, like how he mentions right. how my wife is anxious to hear something of Godfrey's past. Okay. Um, he but he but he wants he also wants to protect his wife. So he also cares about his wife too. Sure. So he seems to have like a much more like I think the story was kinda of set him up as a villain, but it's I think this particular passage indicates there's a lot more going on than what it is. Okay. And I think this is where we as the reader and Sherlock Holmes pick right. this pick this up from just from the very description of the story.
0: Okay. Fair enough. No, you've explained that well. Okay, you've justified the
1: character a little bit better. But perpetrator, I don't know. Because if he's a perpetrator, if him was a perpetrator, I'm sorry. Uh, The the complexity of it is interesting, but at the same time, it's...
0: uh, Yeah, it doesn't work, uh, He's not really a villain. Uh, It's a trick. It's almost like it's not fair to give a perpetrator score for this story, but we have to, and... I'll give him a week three as a villain. Okay. (laughs) It's really generous. I'm going two as a villain, just being a dick dad and not being good friend, uh, not not being good to his friend, I'm just going to go for a two. Okay, so, not a three, you went down to a 2.5. Yes. Okay, well, let me just finish up real quickly then. Environment is, yeah, another big house, o- uh, Tuxley Old Square, or whatever it's called.
1: I like the creepy visage in the window, that was kind of that was kind of a bit of a horror yeah. element there, but it's kind of lame. It is kind of, yeah. I don't know, environment is a whole, 2.5. Yeah, bingo, buddy, right with me, passable but that's just it. And the supporting
0: cast, there's not really much of a supporting cast here. Uh, Dodds is a good little guy. I think Dodds, he's a good uh, loyal friend. And but I if he them. a
1: supporting cast. Yeah. He's he, a su- supporting cast member. Yes. Uh, Dodds is good. I'll give Dodds, as a whole, Dodds and um, Dodds and uh, we got Dr. Saunders there. Yeah, but he's gone. Pro- not Watson. No, and not we, Watson. And, Emsworth is called, could be considered also not a perpetrator, but also a supporting cast member, Colonel yeah. Emsworth. But you've got the
0: wife who passes out at the end yeah she
1: swoons she yeah. swoons
0: you've got the uh, the butler a, a with a the joyous gloves swoon, the butler
1: with the gloves who cries
0: a little bit you got uh, his wife, Godfrey himself nice. yeah she's described as a nurse yeah does that mean she she nursed him as in like because you have wet nurses yeah exactly like it's, like, wet, it's, it's like a wet nurse yeah okay,
1: weird uh, okay I, I like the humanity I like the loyalty to the, I like the loyalty to so that, it's that a tight, that the tight butler. unit and, and it's a tight unit exactly I think All they're right. I think they're very believable in their complexity and that makes me feel okay about going 3-5 Three five is fair. I was going to go with three personally. You're going three, okay? Yeah. You go three.
0: I go three point five. Nice. And that brings me to a let's see, a seven plus a six is thirteen. That's a fifteen. That's a weak score for me in this story. Uh, you are seven five but and it's, two. Is that five, a great story? It, it's a good. St- you're at hello. You're at fifteen point five, buddy.
1: So a low scoring story for low, both of us. A low sc- a, a, a low scoring story. Yeah, I, Is not because I didn't I, I didn't hate the story. I didn't dislike the story. It was just kind of just like... I
0: didn't hate it either. It was just there. Well, here's my question to you then. Did we do this a service? Because this is very strange for me and you to not have prepared notes, you know, to just be together chatting this one over. Have we done this a good service or have we rated it lower you know 15 and 15.5 respectively because we do, we we maybe haven't done the
1: annotations I haven't pulled out as much I just think merely after like the a good story like the illustrious client This doesn't hold up this, does it? this it wasn't terrible it wasn't awful no, but the gimmick of Holmes narrating it is just it's just not enough It was too gimmicky for me and for the story that he that that he chose to have him narrate it was just it's kind of just like, I don't know, I think they could have chosen a better kind of story for him to narrate. Do you think it was a quick and
0: easy, convenient thing? Like, okay, I, I was there in the Boer War. I uh, Yeah, I've kind of got a character in Watson who was serving in Afghanistan. Mm. I'm just pulling this quickly out of, here's something that happened. And oh, he crawled into a house that was a leprechaun. Like, <laughs> that's to me, I thought that's part of ridiculous in it kind very, of a way. Of course of, it is. It's, it's
1: like terrible, terrible it's Murphy's terribly, Law. It's terrible. <laughs> it's, it's terribly ridiculous. <laughs> it's like, do we excuse it? I mean, is it, I think I, I just think there's just the ridiculousness of that to me is just to me I think it connotes to a lower score as well. Yeah. I, I didn't just, I didn't hate it. I found an interesting kind of turn of events, but I don't know. I just didn't think it was remarkable. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Well, it is what. What's one what story that we gave a really low score to? I'm trying, I'm trying to think. That was kind of like an okay so so story. Uh. Norwood Builder. Norwood Builder. Yeah, that was kind of an average. That this was, is up there
0: with it, isn't or it? Norwood is there, Builder, or Norwood Builder down there with it.
1: Norwood Builder kind of story, or like. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of another example. Well, you've
0: got the books right there. Yeah, I do have the books. Right Just there. look at the contents. You've got the complete friggin' Sherlock tome. I do have that. Come on, fire us off some. Oops, sir. Uh, the regate puzzle, puzzle. Squires in my story. It, it, my, my edition's called The Rygate Squires.
1: Yeah, it's weird, eh? The Rygate Puzzle, yeah. Oh. Like The Dancing Men, for example. Ah, I thought that was a little above this one.
0: The Dancing Men was good. With the cypher cracking and stuff yeah, like that. I'm trying to think another... Although it did rip off... It ripped off the Five Orange Pips quite a bit. But it's okay.
1: The Greek tri- Interpreter. that was a so-so story that was kind of... Sorry, the Naval Treaty was a so-so story that was kind of built up a little bit.
0: Yeah, but that was longer. That was like one of the longest short stories.
1: Mm. Oh... Average the adventure of the three students. Yeah, that's pretty pish.
0: That's not a missing great one. 3
1: quarter is also. That's also quite dull That's also oh, pretty those p-
0: the return right those are the return those are the
1: return. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay
0: Right. Well look that's that's us. It's uh, it's time for some musical selections And we're going to uh, we're gonna close shop here at least on the first part of our of our episode We're gonna come back uh, now that we've talked about two stories and we're gonna have a little freestyle on um Irene Radler's and other such drinks from what well, drinks that could be created from the Sherlock Holmes canon. is this, yes. do we have enough to go on this or is this just already burning up fumes?
1: Let's just already uh, let's let's keep let's keep trucking okay well no
0: what I'm, what I'm wondering is 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 that the best we're gonna get the Irene Radler? <laughs> Are, are we?
1: I think are, are we already spent. Is or good? Okay. So we got, we got think of be, so we got to think of beers for like or type of drink. We need to think of drinks for Lestrade for Lestrade. Okay. Well, look,
0: we'll uh, we'll stop for some music here. Uh, musical selections one and two. The first coming at you, uh, inspired by events and features of the illustrious client. And the second, uh, perhaps isn't it the? Uh, oh yes. Here we go. Jerry Goldsmith's uh, main title from Papillon. Which includes the leper colony. <laughs> that'll be that'll be what we will listen to. So, uh, what's what's the, the, the Hong Kong tune by uh, Suzy and the
1: Suzy Sue and the Banshees? Suzy uh, Sue
0: and the Banshees. Hong Kong Garden. Yep, coming from Watson's quick learning of the Ming Dynasty. Yes. And it's uh, it's pottery, and uh, then we got Jerry Goldsmith. Should we play them back to back,
1: or yeah, I'll play them back to back? Yeah. All right. Great right. band I discovered, Suzy Sue and the Banshees. They existed more longer than I have, but they're pretty cool.
0: Alright, here you go, your musical selections from episode 19. We'll be back for the freestyle banter on the drinks of the Holmes universe after our little tunes. So, an opportunity for you to go get your own drink, perhaps, as you listen to these tracks.
1: Yes, grab an Irene Radler for yourself.